See, when I was growing up, I wanted to know. I wanted. I was into everything. I was researching and studying everything I could get my hands on, and I wanted to know. I wanted knowledge. And so I really appreciated, more than anyone will know, I really appreciated speakers, teachers, authors, writers, people who were the leading authorities in, the, in that day that I could go to and listen, go to seminars and sit and listen to them and learn from them and write down their, their, bio, you know, their, their, uh, their sources of their information and go back and get the books and read. So I was traveling all over California and all the museums and all the, the federal and state depositories, all kinds of research libraries. I lived out at UCLA and USC stacks. They were calling the stacks at UC, USC, uh, underground libraries, for years and years and years, cross-referencing everything, reading everything I could on the occult, on on, on the strange things that are going on in the world. And I, be, like I said, I've been doing what I do for 53 years. I started back in 1959 with talking at little mom and pop grocery stores and bookstores, and I was just fascinated with the world of the occult, with with all the things that are not seen. I learned I wanted to know, and that's the big thing. The emphasis is on the word want. I wanted to know. So I decided to dedicate my life to studying the occult. The word occult simply is a Latin word, which means hidden, doesn't mean it's evil or bad or of the devil. It just means hidden. I've done over 600 radio interviews. I've uh, worked with CBS on the Ancient Mystery Series. I've spoke all around the world, all over the earth. I've traveled extensively, speaking about the world of the occult. And I'm fascinated with how much people don't know. And most people do not see the the profound significance of symbols on our money, on our coats of arms, on halotry, on the uh, corporate logos, on flags, national flags. All of these symbols mean something to highly intelligent people. Again, like I said, it's not important to the normal person out in the street. But uh, going back to the dollar bill, you will see on the... Uh, when you're holding the back of the dollar bill to you, it's on the right-hand side, is the eagle. And the eagle has 32 feathers on one wing and 33 on the other. 32 and 33. A lot of, very interesting is he has nine tail feathers. And in, and in the world of the occult, there's some, there's a, an idea expressed that there are nine men who are called the Council of Nine because religion and God is always equated with three. There's always a triune God everywhere. All over the world you have triune deities, three. And so the idea being three times three is nine. It's the opposing of the gods. All the gods are represented by three. That's why you have Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, three major religions. They're called the people of the book. Why do you have three? You have three because you have Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, Osiris, Isis, Horus, Solomon. There was no King Solomon. There was no, no King Solomon ever existed. There was no King David or King Solomon or any of those other biblical characters. They were, that's why the Bible is called the greatest story ever told. It's a story. Solomon, there was no Solomon. And so therefore today there is no Solomon's temple. 
there was a temple of Sol Om On. S O L in Latin is the sun, Sol. Om O M are the priest of the Hindu priests who are called the priest of Om. Remember the chant of the Om? And then you have the word on, O-N. Well, the Greeks went into Egypt, and the center for sun worship in Egypt back then was a city called Heliopolis. Helios, and this is all Greek. The, the, the Egyptians didn't call the city Heliopolis. The Greeks call it Heliopolis because Helios is Greek and Opolis is a city. Right. So it's, uh, the, it's, Helios is the city of the sun. I should say that, that Helios is Greek for the sun, and Opolis is a city. So therefore, Heliopolis is the city of the sun. But the the city that the Greeks call Heliopolis, the Egyptians called it On, O-N, because it was a city of light, the city of the sun. This is why when you walk into a room, you flip a light switch on, because in Egypt, city of light was called On. So therefore, it was a city of the sun. Well, Saul... Om, On, are all three names of the sun. And therefore, the Tempel of Solomon, Tempel, Tempel of Solomon, is the Great Pyramid of Giza. The Great Pyramid of Giza is the Temple of Solomon, because the pyramid is the Temple of the Sun. The Aztecs and the Mayans had temples to the sun and temples to the moon. But the ones in Egypt was called, the Great Pyramid was called the Temple of the Sun because it was all dedicated to astrology based on the sun. So that's why it's in Heliopolis that, uh, that became, you know, and the city was called on by the Egyptians. But when you go back to the American dollar bill, you will see on the, above the eagle's head, there are 13 stars. Look at those 13 stars and you tell me, what configuration do the 13 stars collectively make up? There are 13 stars above the eagle's head on the back of the dollar bill. Look at them, study it, think about what you're looking at, and put all 13 stars together in one picture. What does it make up? And they all put them all together into one star and becomes the hexagram, H-E-X, hex is six. Well, the Star of David is a six-pointed star. That's why it's called a hex. Mm-hmm. Why? It's because the ancient in the ancient prehistoric world, the ancient Babylonians, Sumerians, they would draw a circle on the ground and then draw a triangle within the circle and then an opposing triangle, which is a Star of David, we would call it, inside of a circle and stand inside of that circle, uh, that star, and cast a spell on you. And so today we have Jews all over the world who are proud to show you they have the hex put on them because a hex is a six-pointed star. And so they call it the Star of David. No, that first of all, we know it's not the Star of David because the the star itself, the six-pointed star, was was actually came from, originally came from the Hindus in India. This is an Indian Hindu symbol of the six-pointed star. It can be traced back to in the ancient world, as a symbol for the planet Saturn. Saturn was always the astronomical, not astrological, astronomical, one of the symbols in the astronomical for the planet Saturn was a six-pointed star, a hexagram, which I think is interesting because on the planet of Saturn today, on the North Pole, there is a hexagram. 
So let me, this gets into religion and theology, which is the, the one subject that I'm fascinated with. You know, if you think about it, all your life, the situation in the heavens has always been the same. It's, it's the same story year in and year out. The sun is in summer, and then it goes into fall, then it goes into winter, then it goes into the spring, comes back to summer, and then it starts all over again, spring, summer, autumn, winter, and then it never stops. That's the way it is. So the sun, the ancient people said that the sun was dead in winter. Everyone in the northern hemisphere felt that the sun was dead in winter. It is dead in winter for you. It's freezing up here. But if you have the money, or if you're a bird, you can fly down the Rio. That's when summer is in the southern hemisphere. You go south for the summer. That's why you see the birds, all the birds going south in the fall. Why? Because they're getting out of here because it's winter. It's going to get cold here. So you fruitcakes stay here and work on your job. We're going down to Rio, down to the, down to the beach. <laughs> and so the birds are flying south for the summer because that's where the sun's going to be. So that's the first day of winter. In the Northern Hemisphere, December 21st uh, is the first day of summer in in the, the Southern, Southern Hemisphere. Hemisphere. And so it's just the opposite there. So when they're having summer, we're having winter. Well, so in the Northern Hemisphere, we said that the sun dies for us. It's dead. It's of no value to us. It's, we're freezing to death up here. Yeah. That's a whole story we can get into later. It's called astral theology. First of all, on the right on the right-hand side, going back to the dollar bill, you will see the eagle. And the eagle represents, and the eagle has always represented in all societies, always the eagle is the most important symbol in all societies. And it always means the same thing. As far back as we can go to the Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Phoenician Canaanites, the Greeks, the Romans, America, America has the, the bald eagle. You know, that's our, that's our symbol. No, it's not your symbol. It's been the oldest symbol that's ever been used by any civilization on the face of the earth, period. All ancient civilizations used the eagle. It represents the sun. And there was an ancient priesthood coming out of Phoenicia, Cana, when a very thousands and thousands of years ago, a very ancient priesthood were the priest of the sun. And it goes back to, uh, you know, even in Egypt, there was a priesthood of the sun. And they were, they were stationed in and they lived in an area we call On or Heliopolis. So the eagle represents the sun. But what's interesting about the eagle is you'll notice it only has two wings, left wing and right wing. Mm-hmm. That's why you can only have two political parties under this system in America. You can only have a left wing and a right wing because the eagle only has two wings, left wing and right wing. But the, but the both wings are operated by the same brain. Mm-hmm. So there's a third party here. There's the brain that operates the left wing and right wing, which is telling you that our political system is run by money. You find you, uh, uh, banks are on both sides of a river. They're called river banks. Well, what does a river bank do? It, it directs the flow of the currency. It's the it's the the cash flow. The liquid asset. Therefore, that's what a bank does. It directs the flow of the current. Back to the writing is on the wall. That's right it. between the lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, so on the left-hand side of the back of the dollar bill, you will see a pyramid. Now, how many Americans have looked at the back of, of a dollar bill? Most people don't even know what's on no the back clue. of a dollar yeah. bill. 
but on the back of the dollar bill as an Egyptian pyramid. And at the top of the pyramid was an all-seeing eye. It's become very famous now. Lots and, you know, hundreds and hundreds of websites and speakers out there all over the world now talking about the symbol on the back of the dollar bill is Lucifer, the devil, or Horus, the Egyptian god of the sun, and all kinds of stories out, all kinds of stories out there about the symbol on the back of the dollar bill. Well, I was talking about on radio and television and speaking at circuits and expos as far back as the 1964, 65, 66 about the symbol on the dollar bill and what the words mean. It's above the top of the pyramid. You will see the Latin words Anuit Coeptus. Anuit Coeptus. And beneath the pyramid, you will see the banner, which incidentally has a forked tongue. The fourth tongue on the banner, mm-hmm. and it says Novas Ordo Cyclorum. Novas is novus, meaning novice or new. Right. Novas means new. Ordo is order, the new order. Cyclorum is where we get our word secular. Secular means anything that's worldly. So Novas Ordo Cyclorum is the new order of the world, the new world order. Well, what are you talking about, New World Order? Well, it's based on the pyramid, what they all say, I, the New World Order. And the Anuit Coemptus at the top is Latin for our enterprise is now a success, or God has favored our enterprise with success. So what the symbol is saying is that this is a pyramid represents a New World Order, but the idea is already a success. God has favored our enterprise, Anuit Coemptus. Okay, so there's an enterprise, a world enterprise, and it's called a new world order, and it's based on the pyramid. So what the hell are you talking about? What are we talking about? We're talking about the eye and the triangle. You will see a light emanating from around the eye. Mm -hmm. The eye represents the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. Ask any well-informed rabbi, what does that symbol at the top mean? And he will tell you, if he's well-informed and highly intelligent, well-read, That is the symbol for Messiah in the Hebrew religion. The Jewish religion, the Messiah is a triangle surrounded by light on top of a pyramid. That's the symbol for the Jewish Messiah. Also, and I'll tell you why, I'll explain to you why, but also in the New Testament, uh, Jesus is represented as the triangle on top of a pyramid. Now, let me tell you why. Because in the Hebrew, there are two places in the Bible. I think one of them is in the book of Isaiah and one's in the book of Psalms. And we're talking Old Testament Hebrew, where the Messiah is referred to as the chief cornerstone the builders rejected. Again, in the Hebrew, Messiah is the chief cornerstone the builders rejected. Then twice in the New Testament, in Christian theology, Jesus is referred to as the chief cornerstone the builders rejected. Same words, but now it's in Aramaic and Greek, not in Hebrew. But it means the same thing. So then you, you'll say, okay, so the Messiah and or Jesus is the chief cornerstone the builders rejected. This is why Christians who have no idea about any of this, because they've been watching Bugs Bunny and, and Big Top <laughs> Pee Wee, so they have no idea about any of this. They, I, I, I've spent 53 years studying this, while most Christians haven't spent 53 minutes. Christians will tell you that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Uh, nothing could be more ludicrous on the face of it. Go back and read it. If you can uh, get an education, go to school and learn how to read 
and go back and read the actual Hebrew scriptures and read the Greek and Aramaic scriptures and it will tell you, no, Jesus is not the cornerstone of the church. You are wrong, totally wrong. A cornerstone is a corner of a building. It's, a, it's the first stone that's first stone laid. It's a, per, a perfect square. And so wherever you lay that perfect square, when you build out from it, it's going to be too late. If you built the building and it's a little off, you should have straightened the cornerstone out to start with. So the cornerstone is on the bottom of the building. Jesus is not the cornerstone. The word in Greek and Hebrew is chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone is totally different than cornerstone because the word chief cornerstone in Hebrew means, look it up in the Hebrew dictionary, chief cornerstone is a Hebrew word which means a triangle perched on top of a pyramid because the, if you take a perfect Take a perfect four-sided pyramid in your mind. Four-sided pyramid, absolute perfect. You take a razor and you cut off the tip. The tip you've just cut off is itself a pyramid, four-sided pyramid, right? Absolutely. But it's a little tiny one. Smaller than the largest. That's right. It's a little tip, but it is a four-sided pyramid. Now put it back on and it completes the full pyramid. That's what the idea is, that Jesus or the Messiah is the completion of the divine plan of the universe, the completion of God's divine ancient plan that the Egyptians knew about, the Babylonians, the Sumerians, all the ancient peoples of the world understood what God is and where the, what the Messiah and Christianity, what Jesus actually represents. The word in the New Testament for Jesus is the chief cornerstone, which is a triangle sitting on top of a pyramid. And Jesus is referred to as God's Son, the light of the world. Well, of course, the Son is the light of the world. What else lights the world if it isn't the Son? S-U-N. Well, and the Son is our risen, now Jesus is our risen Savior. Now, Jesus is the Son, S-U-N, not S-O-N. And so you ask any six-year-old child, where is Jesus? And a little Christian kid will tell you he's in heaven. Well, when you go out at night and you look into the stars at night, what are you looking into? You're looking into heaven. Well, during the daytime, you will look up there and you'll see thing, something called the sun. So God's sun, and obviously it's God's sun, it's not your sun. It's not the, doesn't belong to Africa and doesn't belong to the Chinese. It belongs to God. So it's God's sun. And God's sun is in heaven. Of course it's in heaven. Where the hell else would it be if it's not in heaven? And God's sun, as you remember, is our risen Savior. Of course it rises. Every morning about 5.30 it rises, right? And it is your Savior. If it doesn't come up, you're dead in three weeks. So it's your, it is God's Son is your risen Savior. Of course it's your risen Savior. And so the Messiah has to do with the divine plan of the ages, which is the war between light and darkness. The whole idea and the ancient Egyptian religion, the ancient Babylonian, the Phoenician Canaanite religion, and Judaism, Christianity, uh, not Islam, but Judaism and Christianity, basically is boils down to the war between light and darkness. That is what the whole New Testament story of Jesus is all about. The entire story of Jesus in the New Testament the thing that the Christian church is supposedly based on is based on a metaphor, an ancient, old, ancient metaphor, symbolic story. That's, again, why I said 
that the Bible is uh, not the greatest collection of facts. It's the oldest story. It's the greatest story ever told. Of course, it's the greatest story ever told. It's the oldest story. And the story is very simple. It's the war between light and darkness, between God's Son, the light of the world, as your risen Savior. And he gave you life. Of course he gave you life. Without the Son, you wouldn't even be here. It's interesting when you get into theology how much people don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed at the, at the stuff that's right there in, the, in your face. But the people uh, who have given their whole life over to the church, they've given all the money to the church, they've given their whole life to the church, they, they crawl on their knees and, and fall all over themselves when they see the Holy Father or the priest and uh, all that n- nonsense. They don't want to admit that they were wrong. Look at when I was, you know, as well as I do, when you were a child and even today as an adult, nobody likes to be made fun of in front of a class. Nobody wants to be laughed at because he, he didn't know he didn't do his homework and he doesn't know the problems. And so as a kid, you're standing in front of the class and the teacher's asking you to do a problem that you don't know how to do. Why? Because you didn't do your homework and you or you didn't study. So all the kids are laughing at you because you're an imbecile and you're you know, stupid. And they're laughing at you. Well, children don't like to be laughed and mocked by their, by their friends. But the point I'm making is that people don't like to be made to look like a fool in front of their friends and, and show that they're ignorant and stupid. They don't want to do that. that that's a very offensive and hurts people. Uh, and so that's why most people will go along with anything that the group, uh, whatever the group believes, that's what they believe. Whatever the group wants to do, that's what they want to do. And so what you don't want to do in human society is be a thinker, be an educated a thinker who questions everything, uh, who, who uh, analyzes everything. That's what you don't want to do, because when you do that, now you're going to lose your friends. The Bible has Jesus saying, by their fruits, you shall know them. That's an acid test. By their fruits, you shall know them, meaning no matter what you, a person can say about themselves, what did they do? Don't tell me about how wonderful you are. What did you do? Because by what you've done, I can tell who you are. So by your fruits, I shall know you. So that then Jesus, if someone comes to Jesus in the Bible and says that they asked Jesus, they had a seed, and they asked him, what kind of a seed is this? And he said, the Bible says, Jesus said, they took the seed and said, why don't you plant it and water it? And whatever it comes up, if it's an apple tree, then it was an apple seed, airhead. But if it comes up as a peach tree, then it was a peach uh, seed, goofy, airhead. So you don't <laughs> have to be a big scientist. Just plant the thing and watch and see what it produces. So yeah. by their fruits, you shall know them. Well, what is the fruitage of the church and religion and government today? The fruitage is the entire nation has got an IQ of 40. Nobody knows their butt from a hole in the ground. Nobody understands how we're getting ripped off. Nobody understands we're being ripped off and destroyed. Nobody understands why we have to go to jail, why you have to go to court, uh, why you have to pay this fine, why you have to pay that ticket, and uh, who's running the country, and why do you only have two political parties. Nobody knows anything about none of this. All of Judaism and almost all of Christianity and uh, virtually all of Islam, all three of those major religions, can be traced back to the Hindus in India. I mean, the, the Jewish religion especially is just filled with uh, with Hindu 
and Buddhistic uh, symbols. I mean, the six-pointed star, the Star of David, no, that was originally comes from the Hindus in India and also was picked up by the Buddhists. And later on, it becomes known as the Star of David in the 1890s. I mean, it was only a couple hundred years ago, uh, if that, that the star, that the six-pointed star became known as the Star of David. Before 1890s, there was no Star of David. No one never heard, Jews never heard of any Star of David. There was a six-pointed hexagram, yeah, but it was not called the Star of David. Point of fact, there was no King David. King David never existed. I got news for you. Muhammad never existed. There was no such a man named Muhammad. As far as I'm concerned, no such man ever existed named Muhammad. But it's like everybody in Spain's name is Jesus. Mexico, so many young men are called Jesus. Or Jesus. Or uh, Jesus yeah. and Jesus, right? But what happens if we find out there was no Jesus? Well, it's too late. You already got 46 billion people, and they're all named Jesus. <laughs> and why? It's because everybody else is doing it. So that's what my name is. My name is Jesus or Jesus. And then you find out, well, there was no Jesus. never existed. I mean, I remember talking to rabbis many years ago. My dear friend, a high-ranking rabbi. This was back in 1965, 66, and 67 who was a good friend of mine. I used to send him all kinds of documents and research materials back in 67, and he would send me all kinds of interesting research on Jewish religion and the Christian religion. So we were trading a lot of interesting stuff many, many years ago. I asked him one time, I said, Rabbi, tell me the truth. You're not talking to a fool. Tell me the truth. Was there a Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or King Solomon, or King David, or any of these uh, people in the Bible, did they really exist? And he said, look, at it, it's a religion. Everybody's got a religion. Catholics got a religion. A Protestant got religion. Islamic people got a religion. For Christ's sake, give me a break. I got to have a religion, too. I mean, the Jews got to have something, too. And I said, well, that doesn't answer my question. Were these people real in history? And he said, well, look, at first of all, there was no King David and King Solomon. All of these people are just stories in the Bible. That's why the Bible's called the greatest story ever told. It is the greatest story. It's just a story. Now, when you understand how this stuff works, you begin to see that the story goes back to India, Brahman, Vishnu, Shiva. Or in Egypt is Osiris, Isis, Horus. Or in Christianity, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Or in Judaism, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's always a triune Godhead. And so he said, the rabbi said to me, was there a Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva? I said, no, those are just metaphor names for gods. He said, well, that's what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. There was no Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It goes back to India. It goes back to the Hindus because the highest ranking priests that represented God in India were called Brahmins. Brahman. And so you put an A in from it because Abram. Abram. And that's what the Bible says. Abraham's name was Abram before he became known as Abraham. And the Brahmins in India had a very special river that they would bathe in, and it was called the Waters of God. That was supposedly where everyone was baptized and all the Brahmin priests would, would bathe. And that river was called Saraswazi, the Saraswazi River. And so the, you put an A in front of Brahman, it becomes Abraman or Abraham and Sarah. No, it's the Saraswazi River for the Brahmin priest. Judaism goes back to the Hindu. Christianity goes back to Hindu. 
Islam is a whole different subject. All the religion that we call Islam was already in existence, mm-hmm. fully already developed and in existence way before any Muhammad would ever, ever live. The whole Islamic religion was already in place, but it was a worship of the planet Saturn at the time. It was involving the moon worship. It was involving the planet Venus. This is why in all Islamic countries today, their flags and all the heraldry of the of the official colors of the Islamic countries of today is green. Look it up in any reference book on occultism, and it will tell you that the color green is an Islamic color. That's all their flags and national coats of arms are all green. Green was the color associated with Venus. <clears throat> That's why when you see an Islamic mosque, you will see a crescent and a star. Mm-hmm. The star represents Venus, the morning star. And the crescent is the morning star when it first rises. Because when it first rises in the morning, even astronomers will tell you, you will never see Venus as a full circle. It always is a crescent. The crescent has been used for the moon worship, but that's a little bit later. But originally, the crescent was the symbol for Venus. All I'm saying is that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are ancient pagan religions. And there's only a handful of people in the world that know anything about this, And it's not good business to uh, tell the people the truth. I've always wondered how important is it to tell people the truth, really. Analyze that. If someone's dying, how important is it for the doctor to tell them that they're dying? If your wife's cheating on you and I know it, how important is that to tell Amanda's wife's cheating on it? How important is it to tell people the truth? Because remember, generally speaking, People will finance and support what they want to hear. They will not finance or support what they don't want to hear. Well, the truth hurts. Well, of course. They're not going to give you money and support you so you can tell them the real truth. Yeah. And so if you love country western music, you're not going to pay a lot of money to go to a rap concert. Uh, all of this is very, very interesting stuff that people don't know any of this, and they're never going to be told any of it. The best spy agency on the earth is the Vatican. Uh, they're far, far superior to MI5 and MI6 in London, far superior to NSA here in America, NSA and CIA. Um, why? As well as because they've been around for 1,600 years doing what they do. So they're pretty good at it. But, you just came into the world you know, 200 years ago. Now, they've been doing it for 1,600 years. Mm-hmm. So just understand that for 1,600 years, the Vatican has dominated Europe. Actually, for 2,300 years, Rome has dominated Europe, starting with the Caesars of Rome and with the fall of the Roman Empire in 425, uh, with the official fall of the Roman Empire came... Uh, the Vatican ultimately became the, the power of Europe, Rome. So Rome hasn't gone anywhere. It just morphed into the Vatican. It's still Caesar. He's still God. And everyone crawls on their knees. All to, leads to Rome. All, all roads lead all to Rome. roads lead to Rome. Yeah. And so once you understand that uh, the Roman Empire has dominated Europe for 2,300 years, first of all, under Caesars, and then the last 1,600 years under the Vatican, 
what I'm saying is that for 2,300 years, the Rome has dominated Europe, period. And Europe has dominated the earth. All the earth has been dominated by the Portuguese, the Spanish, the British, the French, the Germans. The whole world has been dominated by Europe, and Europe has been dominated by Rome. So the bottom line is all roads lead to Rome. All the crap going on today with all the drug cartels in South America and the meddling cartels and the Nazis in Brazil and boys of Brazil and the Nazis in uh, Argentina and Paraguay and Uruguay, all of these Nazi SS Gestapo countries like Paraguay, Uruguay, Argentina and Peru. But keep in mind, all of these countries were, were very Catholic. They're very Roman. As a matter of fact, Paraguay and Uruguay was founded by the Jesuits, and they run all the rest. So the bottom line on all of this is, if you want to know what's going on on the earth today, you better look at Rome. I hear all this stuff about the Jews doing this and the Jews are doing that. When in point of fact, no, it's not the Jews as much as it is the guys who've been in power for 2,300 years, Rome. And the Roman system is based on an ancient Phoenician Canaanite system. And there's just a very big story about history that people are not aware of. But well, the Venetian Canaanites were really the architects. That's right. The, they the were the architects of our, of our whole political system and our yeah. judicial system and all of our money systems. Uh, it's an incredible story about the betrayal of the human race by that ancient people called the Phoenician Canaanites. Well, that goes back to the biblical Cain and Abel. That's right. Right there. That's right. And uh, when you go back to um, the, the history of Egypt, you know, we're told in the Bible, we're given the story about Moses. Moses, first of all, um, there probably was no Moses. There was a line of pharaohs called Thutmoses. Thutmoses the first, second, and third. Thutmoses. Thut is, gives us our word today in English, thought. Thought comes from the, from the idea of Thut. And Moses means the son of in Egyptian language. So in the Egyptian language, Moses merely means the son of. And Thut gives us our word thought. Therefore, Pharaoh Thut Moses was said to be the thought of God. God thought up Thut Moses. Uh, and so Moses was most likely never existed. But the religion based around Moses, Thut Moses, was moon worship. Because from Egypt and of course and from the Sinai on the other side of the sea, in the Sinai is a large set of mountains in the in the uh, middle of the Sinai are huge mountains, and so the people on the west, which would be in Egypt and the west part of the Sinai, every night they would see the moon come up, mm-hmm. and obviously the moon comes up from behind the mountains. So obviously, anyone can figure that out, the moon lives in the mountain. So, And so the moon comes up every night from the mountain. And so the moon's name, the old uh, Arabic name for the moon, the moon god, because he was obviously a god, and he was sleeping during the day, but he comes out at night, uh, his name was Sin, S-I-N, Sin. 
Look it up in the dictionary. S-I-N. That was the name of the moon god in Arabia. And Sin lived in a mountain, obviously, because every night we see him come out from the mountain. Well, a mountain in the old ancient Arabic tongue was Ai. So Ai was a mountain, and Sin was the god of the mountain, the god who lived in the mountain, the moon god. So you put them together, he became known as the old man of the mountain, or the moon god who lives in the mountain, Sin Ai. So today we call it Sinai. No, it's not Sinai, it's Sin Ai, the moon god of the mountain. So we talk about how holy Jerusalem and, oh, Mount Sinai. There's nothing holy in Jerusalem. The only thing holy in Israel are the stories that come out of it. They're full of holes. The whole <laughs> thing is, 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 is sex worship, drugs, rock and roll, money, politics, religion. There's no truth in any of it. Go back and read the history books. Go back and read about sin. And and he would rise up in the nighttime. And that's why even today the Hebrews still have their holy days after sundown. Why are holy days after sundown? Because that's when the moon comes out. Let me let me let me give you an example how this stuff works. If you go back to the very earliest times in mankind's recorded history, we're talking about six thousand five to seven thousand years ago, on the plains of Shinar, what we call today uh, Iraq, Iran. That was one of the oldest civilizations on the earth. The idea was that on the first day of winter. Uh, try and follow this logic. On the first day of summer, the sun is as high in the northern hemisphere as it's going to get. And it's right over us. So therefore, he's really hot. God's sun is really hot now. And so the constellation that begins summer is Leo, the lion. Leo. And so therefore, the sun, when it's in the constellation of Leo, begins summer. The dominant symbol during summer was Leo the Lion. That's why Disney makes movies about the Lion King. Of course, the sun, God's son, the light of the world, our risen Savior is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Mm -hmm. Why? Because all kings, rulers, potentates, princes, police department, fire department, every college, university, every institution on the face of the earth, the badges will always have a sun on it. Mm -hmm. God's son is... King of kings and Lord of lords. Every state symbol. Every state symbol. Everybody has a sun. Why? Because it's the only thing that causes life on the earth, period. So, follow the logic now. On the first day of summer, the sun is as high in the northern hemisphere as it's going to go. And so the Lion King is really hot. Three months later, or 90 degrees later, if you have 30 days in a month, three months later is 90 90 days or 90 degrees. He is now halfway down. He was really hot at one time. Now he's not that hot. We call that fall because he was hot. Now he's falling. He's losing power. So we call that fall. Well, when you start to fall... You you go all the way down as you're falling all the way down south until you hit December 21st, and uh, now you've hit bottom. Now you're dead as far as we're concerned. You're gone. You left the, you left the world. You're down there. So now he's not only fallen, but now he's dead. That's the first day of winter. Well, when the sun goes south and it hits December 21st, what's interesting is that on the December 22nd, 
the 23rd and the 24th, all three days. The sun does not go any further south, but it does not come back to the northern hemisphere either. So on the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, it just sits on that same degree. Winter solstice. The winter solstice for three days. So the ancient Egyptians said that the sun doesn't move for three days. Well, anything that's been moving every day and stops for three days, he was dead. So therefore, God's son was dead in his tomb for three days. Then on December 25th, the sun moves one degree northward, which means it wasn't doing anything for three days. It was dead. But now it's been born again. It's come back to life. So now it's going to start its annual journey back back to the the northern hemisphere. So 90 days later, it's springing back to life. Mm -hmm. So we call it spring. I don't care what you call it. The sun's coming back to us. And so when it comes back, the main constellation of the zodiac, which represents spring, was Virgo, the virgin. So therefore, God's son is born of a virgin, Virgo, the constellation of Virgo and the constellation of the zodiac. So he has springing back to life. He's come back. So the ancient Egyptians said, when you die, you passed on. And we say the same thing today. When someone passed, when someone dies, we say, well, grandmother passed last night. Or she passed over or passed away or passed on. Passed means they've left, they've gone. Therefore, the sun, which was really hot in summer, 90 degrees later, he fell 90 days later, he's falling. Now he falls all the way down to winter. Now he's dead. He's not even falling. He's just totally dead. Then he's reborn on December 25th, Christmas. He's reborn on December 25th. Now, 90 days later, he comes back over the equator. And as it passes over the equator, there's a big celebration because everybody knows he's coming back. He said he would return. He promised he would return. Well, he did. And now we can plant and live and harvest, and we can have a good time now because God's son, the lay of the world, is coming back. So as it passes over the equator, we say God's son was dead in winter, but he has passed over the equator. So the Egyptians had a very big celebration. They called it the Passover. Mm-hmm. And so today, the Hebrews and the Jews still celebrate the Passover in the first week of spring. The Christians, of course, would not have anything to do with that. That's that's Jewish religion, the Passover, when the sun's passing over the equator. On the third day, he rose again and fulfilled the scriptures. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. so now it's coming back to us. So he's springing back Back to to life. life. But the Christians cannot have anything to do with the Jewish religion. That's called the Passover. So in the same week that the Passover is going on, the Christians have something called the resurrection Mm -hmm. of God's Son. I don't care what you call it, the resurrection, he's come back to life, or he's passing over, coming back to the northern hemisphere. I don't care what you call it, Passover, resurrection, Easter, it doesn't matter, whatever you want to call it. But the bottom line is, both the Jews and the Christians are worshiping the Son who's crossing over, who's passing over. He is resurrected, he's coming back to life for the northern hemisphere. It's all sun worship. It all has to do with astrology and sun worship. There's nothing holy in Jerusalem. This is not the chosen people of God. It's just a religion for God's sake. Give me a break. It's like Hinduism, Buddhism, Shintoism, Catholicism, Protestantism, Judaism. 
It's just a religion for God's sake. It's just a story. I mean, come on, get on. I always say, why don't you go out and get a job and buy a book and do something and educate yourself as to how this damn stuff works. There's nothing holy in Rome. My God, there's been well, there's more people more murdered. More sacrifices in uh, Rome than they were on sacrifices. the planet. Yeah. yeah. Look at the Colosseum. Look at, yeah, classic example. And then... And then when you get into Judaism and all the Hindu symbolism in Judaism of Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, the holy river of Sarah, Brahma, Sarah, or Abraham and Sarah. And like Rabbi, uh, Rabbi told me, uh, you know, there's nothing. All religions in the world are based on a triangle pyramid, the three points of a triangle, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Osiris, Isis, Horus. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Always a triune God. Always three. That's why you have to have Christianity, Judaism, Islam. A triune Godhead. All of this stuff is mystical stuff that the ancient peoples knew, and that the uh, and that the masters who learned all of this stuff thousands of years ago has put the world together today. And we live in a world today that is crawling with occult symbols, words, terms, numbers, numerology, but it's over the head of 99% of the people on the face of the earth have no idea what's going on. None. Nobody ever tells them anything. Oh, clue. Yep. Always has been. And as I said, the bad part about it is that people will not support the truth. And when you start, look at if you understand, and I could go on for days on this subject of the solar cult, of the ancient Egyptians. Once you understand that Jesus did not exist as a man, there was no such a man as Jesus. It's a story. But once you understand the story as a metaphor, it's a symbolic story. And Jesus is a key symbol in the metaphor. Jesus represents, he said, I am the truth and the light. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. What is it that is the truth of all truth in the light if it isn't the sun? You can do all kinds of things in the dark at night. Nobody sees you. But anything is done in the sun at 12 noon, everybody Everybody sees you. The Egyptian priest would go out early morning, 4, 4.30 in the morning, and sit and face the rising of the sun. And so the sun, when it began to break the surface, that was their God. He is our risen Savior. And so his name, they gave him the name of Horus, H-O-R-U-S, Horus. It was said that Horus walks across the sky in 12 equal steps. So when it first comes up in the morning, it's Horus of the first step. Then a little bit later, a little bit further up, it's Horus of the second step. Then Horus of the third step, and when it gets straight up over the sky, in the middle of the sky, overhead, he became known, Horus became known as the Most High God. Why? Because it don't get any higher than high noon. And so the sun is now the Most High. Of course it's Most High. From here on out, it's going to go down again. So therefore, God's sun is the Most High at 12 noon. That's why, you know, he was in the temple teaching the wise men at 12, uh, 12 years old. No, no. The sun is in God's temple. The temple of the heavens is God's temple. And he's in the temple teaching the wise men at 12 noon. Because if you can't learn intelligence at 12 noon in the broad daylight, you're a real idiot. 
And so God's Son is in the temple teaching the wise men light, enlightening the human race at 12 noon. Then he begins to walk 12, you know, walk six more steps, and now he's leaving the world. And when he leaves the world, he's leaving the world in the hands of the prince of darkness. The evil one, the prince of darkness, is coming because God's son is leaving the world, and now he's going to have a ball, the prince of darkness, because God's son is leaving. So God's son is leaving the earth, the whole earth, in the hands of the prince of darkness. And in Egypt, the prince of darkness was called Set, S-E-T, Set. Why? Because they noticed it did get dark at sunset. Sunset. Right. <laughs> pretty simple. Yeah, pretty simple. All makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and so so therefore he is born, uh, when he's born in the first born in the morning, he's a baby, the baby Horus, the baby Jesus, <clears throat> and then he walks across the sky in 12 steps. So they said 12 Horuses, H-O-R-U-S. No, we changed it. 12 hours. Exactly. H-O-R-U-S, Horus? No, H-O-U-R-S, hours. You just change the R to U to U and R because 12 hours. So now God's son walks across the sky in 12 steps, <clears throat> and the sun represents light. He is the light of the world. Well, light in Latin is Lucius. Lucius, when it's personified into a person, Lucius is an idea. Light is an idea concept. But if you're going to make that concept into a person to worship, then that name, then the name you would call Lucius or light would be Luke. Luke is Lucius in Latin. Lucius is light. Horus is the god of light. The god of light. Okay? So therefore, it's Luke Skywalker. He walks across the sky in 12 equal steps, and he meets Darth Vader, the prince of darkness. So the whole story of the Christian religion is the war between Horus and Set, <clears throat> between God's Son, the light of the world, our risen Savior who walks across the sky in 12 steps, who is the Savior of the world because he brings light and warmth and, and energy and all the wonderful things, and he's, you know, he, he, he takes care of everyone, he gives everyone energy and food. And so... <clears throat> And then he has to die, and when he dies, he's going to leave the whole world in the hands of the Prince of Darkness, Darth Vader, <clears throat> as, because Luke Skywalker is gone now. So all I'm saying is that religion is it's a story, and it's a story of the war between light and darkness. Now, how do you understand all of this today correctly? Very simple. If you go back into, this is why the Bible is called the greatest story ever told, because it is the greatest story ever told. Why? Because it's the oldest story that's ever been told. The oldest story ever told on the earth was a war on earth between light and darkness. Twelve hours of light, twelve hours of darkness. The boogeyman comes out at night and is going to get you. And in the morning, thank God, God's sun has risen and everything's going to be fine now. And he's come back to save us because he, he promised he would. And in spring, he does come back to the northern hemisphere because he promised he would return. Thank God he does because we freeze up here and we're not able to raise any crops or anything because everything's frozen solid. Religion is actually the worship of the sun. It goes all the way back to the ancient sun worship. 
and moon worship in the ancient uh, Arabic world. The moon was called Sin, and that's where the Hebrews get the idea that their holy days are after sundown, uh, because that's when the moon comes out. Another one of the ancient gods of the of the Hebrews, and they had quite a few ancient gods at different times in the history. <clears throat> when they were called Hyksos, the Hebrews, what we call today, Hebrews will call Hyksos in ancient Egypt. And at one time, the Hyksos became involved when they left out of uh, Egypt and went north into Palestine. They had already learned the worship of Isis in Egypt. Isis was feminine the feminine perfection of spiritual wisdom, Isis, I-S-I-S. Then with the coming of the new religion on the Pharaoh Akhenaten, which was the worship of the sun, the sun was called Amun-Re, A-M-E-N, Amun-Ra, Amun-Ra. That's why to, the Christians still today are praying to God's son, the amen. light of the world, and they say at the amen. end of their prayer, amen. Of course, it's Amun-Ra, Amun-Re. Amen, son. Amen, God's son, amen. But when the Hyksos people left out of Egypt, they had already learned the worship of Isis, I-S-I-S. Then they had been under the Pharaoh Akhenaten learning the worship of Amun-Re, R-A, Ra, which is where we get our word Sun-Ray. <clears throat> and then when they leave and go north into Palestine, they encountered a people called Palestinians, and those Palestinians already had their own god. They had their own religion. And that religion was the worship of the planet Saturn. Saturn was referred to in the ancient world as Lord of the Rings. Well, we yeah. also see the we also see the Jews in Hollywood making Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, what about the the Gaza situation right now? And uh, yeah, I think a lot of this has to do with. Well, obviously, it's religious based. Most uh, yeah, but it's all been manipulated purposely. That's why you see the head of the, the head of Palestine and the head of Israel. My God, how many times have I seen pictures of the head of Palestine and the head of the of Israel? They're all shaking hands, having wine, and shooting the breeze, and smoking cigars together, and they're all patting each other on the back, and they're all friends. It's just business. Nothing personal here, Sonny. It's just business. We're talking money. We're talking politics. Divide and conquer. Democrat, Republican. It's just business. You keep people occupied. Cause problems. You cause all kinds of divisions so that there's, you know, if everybody's happy and just doing their their thing, they're not going to listen to you. Who needs you to be over them? You need somebody like you to be over us, to protect us if we are in trouble. But as long as we're not in trouble, who the hell needs you? So therefore, the government makes sure that the people are always one step away from chaos. There's going to be bloody violence, uh, starvation, all kinds of terrible well, goes things. Back to the fear. Fear is well, of a course. massive power tool. Precisely. That's what. That's what. Uh, can't remember the Nazi, the famous Nazi, uh, not not Goebbels. Yeah, Goebbels. Goebbels. He said, if you just tell a lie big enough, and they just keep telling them, eventually everybody's going to believe it. Powerful propaganda. That's right. And remember, propaganda does not deceive you. Propaganda helps you to deceive yourself. Because mm -hmm. you have a brain, and you don't listen to the propaganda. Go out and read a book and study and understand how the world works. And then you see the whole thing is all a bunch of bull. Just all politics, money, corruption. The eagle only has two wings. I mean... And left wing is evil, and well, that's what the word in Latin, the word for left is sinister, right? 
So why did God put your 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 heart on the left hand side? Because that's a sinister side. In Latin, sinister, and the sun is your solar plexus, and the in the center of your chest is a solar plexus, and your heart is on the sinister side, the left. And uh, I'm just saying, once you understand, this is why Jesus had uh, twelve apostles. The Son has twelve helpers, the the twelve signs of the zodiac, the twelve months of the year. Um, once you understand, Jesus is a symbol and a metaphor story and a symbolic story. Everything begins to make sense. You know, he's he's resurrected in spring. His uh, his mother was a virgin. The twelve apostles. Uh, a lot of people are not aware of the fact that uh, in Rome, the ancient Roman Empire, there was a religion just before the advent of Christianity. There was a very powerful, dominating religion in in, uh, in uh, the Roman Empire. It was called Mithraism. Mithra was the god of light. He was called God's son, the light of the world. He died on a cross. He was resurrected after three days. He had 12 apostles. His mother was a virgin. It's called Mithraism. Go to an encyclopedia and look it up and read about Mithra. He was the, he was out, he was referred to as God's son, the light of the world. He was put to death on the cross. He was resurrected on the third day. Uh, all of this stuff is Mithraism. Then when Christianity comes along, um, it's a myth. It, yeah, just, just just keep everything the same. It's just a, it's like the same thing. As Sears moves into mm-hmm. uh, a business, we keep everybody on. Everybody stays on the job. That's from here on out. I'm the boss. It's like Hollywood sequels. Yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> that's right. Just, just recycle the same stories. So it, it's just incredible when you understand how this religion works and. You know, how many people go to church? How many people go to church and have no idea in the world what the word church means? That's an incredible story. People go to church. You spell church, C-H-U-R-C-H. But church comes from a Scottish word, kirk, K-E-R-K or K-I-R-K, kirk. So if you're a Christian on Sunday morning in Scotland, you go to kirk. Or if you're in England, you go to church. Kirk is a Scottish word which can be traced back to because the Knights Templars, when they went under crusades for the papacy to the Middle East, they learned a lot of the religion of the Middle East and brought it back to Scotland. And so in the Middle East, there was a worship of a goddess. Her name was Circe, Circe, C-E-R-E-S, Circe or Circe. She was referred to in the ancient Middle East, uh, especially with the uh, the uh, Phoenicians, Carthaginians, who were big in Carthage. Uh, the worship of the of the Mother Circe, Mother Circe. Well, Mother Circe becomes Mother Kirk, and then later on becomes Mother Church. But Circe is the basis for Kirk, and Kirk is the basis for Church. So go back and look at this Mother Circe. And you will find in Greek mythology, she was able to hypnotize people and take their minds from them under hypnosis and bring them into her house and lock the door behind them and then magically take their minds from them and then eat them, feed off of them. 
that's Mother Source or Mother Cersei, Mother Kirk or Mother Church. And that's what Mother Church does. Well, that's what the church does. She brings in people, locks the door behind them, no reading of any books. We don't want to question nothing. We don't want to discuss nothing. Just do what you're told. Write a check and keep your mouth shut and send the church money. So therefore, Mother Church, Mother Cersei, Mother Kirk is, is living off of the people. I'm just amazed at how many people don't see this stuff. And, you know, and they will tell you, Christians will tell you, well, yeah, but, you know, we're supposed to give a tithing, which is 10% of our income. We give 10% of our income to the, to the church, tithing to support the church. And I ask, and I say to people, do you know where tithing comes from? Have you ever looked in a book and read a book on what tithing is? Tithing is, was not, had, had nothing to do with giving 10% of your income. Tithing was very simple. The ancient Phoenician Canaanites and all the ancient people in the Middle East realized each year when you grow your plants and food, you save 10% of the seeds so you've got something to plant next Next year year. to give it back to God, so to speak. Give it back to the universe. Put it back into the ground and water, and then you will have food for next year. And so the church comes along and says, that's a great idea. I never thought about that. That's good. So why don't we get these? Why don't you get these goofballs, these airhead <laughs> misfits, goofballs who don't have brain one, have never read anything, and we just tell them that, that well, you have to give ten percent of your money to the church, right? Now, normally we were going to take fifty percent, but we only take ten percent unless, of course, you got some money and we take twenty percent. Have I got a deal for you? Yeah, I got a deal <laughs> for you. I'm gonna let, <laughs> I'm gonna let this go for twenty nine ninety five. No ups and no downs. And uh, and so you find out that, no, religion is just a business. Come on. That's all it is. Just a business. It has nothing to do with anything spiritual. And anyone who has more than 500 brain cells all going in the same direction watches Christian television has to know this is the most hideous, most abominable, silly nonsense that people can be involved well, like, in. What gets me? I look at the private jets that these guys oh, are flying around. Oh, private jets and, and uh, diamond rings yeah. and, and gay haircuts and and jumping around the stage with their you know with their Rolex watches and they're talking about the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus this and that, never realizing there is no Lord Jesus. There was no Jesus. It's just a story of the sun. The whole story of the Bible is astrology, period, end of sentence. I think people pretty well have suspected and pretty well know, but, you know, but like I said, people don't like to be made fun of. They don't like to have uh, other people laughing at them. And so since everybody in town is going to church, if you don't go to church, they're going to laugh at you and mock you. And so it, it might even affect your job. So you need to be at church. You need to just go along to get along. Just sit there and let them play guitars and sing songs and all of that. And you'll feel good and they'll feel good and everybody's happy. Right. So it's, in the, it's, a, it's a disgusting situation. And uh, we haven't even scraped the surface. That's why I'm just doing what I do. I'm just trying to awaken people to how ignorant, ill-informed, and unread the world really is. And so I'm just, I've always wanted to know what's behind the curtain. And so that's what I do. That's why I do what I do is I just want to make, I want to make knowledge available to those who want to hear. Most people don't want 
to hear. But for those individuals who do want to know, the, I want to be here to help them, to show them where to go for the information on how to figure out how this system started, what the symbols mean, how the government works, how things work. Because I'm telling you, nothing in this world works the way you think it does. And I mean nothing. Basically, what I want to do is I just want to enlighten people who want to know. Because most people don't care to know the truth until they get in trouble. They don't want to know anything about the law. You know, even though the law says ignorance of the law is no excuse. <laughs> well, yeah, but nobody cares about it. It's not important uh, because it has nothing to do with basketball or Paris Hilton or anything. Now, once you're found guilty and going away for 25 years of life, you know, in prison, now all of a sudden it hits you of the system you're living under. Now what is going to happen to you? Because now how does this happen? What's going on? Well, it's a little late <laughs> yeah. for you to figure it out then. I wish I knew the law. Yeah, I wish I knew the <laughs> law. And what, and you said the wrong things in court, and that, that got you 25 years. When you walk into a courtroom, you see uh, the people are sitting out here in the audience, and then there's a fence and a gate, and then there's a judge and all the rest of the, the group inside. What do you think that, that fence is there for? What do you think that gate is there for? It's symbolism. The people who are sitting out here in the audience are called, that area in a courtroom is called the law of the land. Then there's a fence and a gate. On the top of the gate is a piece of wood. And that's called a bar. And so, but you're not, you're not licensed to pass the bar. Only the attorneys are licensed to pass the bar. And so when your name is called, you are passing the bar. You are, oh, when you put your hand on that gate, by law, when you put your hand on that gate and open the gate to go in, that gate is called a water gate. And uh, you have just now opened the water gate. The water gates are when you're going through the Panama Canal. They've got gates, and when the gates open, the ship rises. And so that's why in a courtroom, when they call your name, you open the gate. That's a water gate. Now you've opened yourself up to hot water. Now you're in hot water because you've opened yourself up to maritime admiralty law. Maritime admiralty is the law of water. Because the Romans, the ancient Romans said there was only two things on the earth, land and water. So there's only two kinds of law, the law of the land and the law of water. The law of the land was, of course, the law of the culture of the people who lived on a particular piece of land. But the law of the land is different in every country. You can do things in South Africa you can't do in Russia. You can do things in China you can't do in America because it's the law of the land. But there is a bigger and far more important law on the earth. And that is called the law of the high seas, the law of water. The law of water is the most powerful law on the earth. It's called maritime admiralty. That's why we say that money goes through your hands like water. No, maritime admiralty is the law of money, water. That's why it's the cash flow, the liquid asset. That's why you put it in a, put your money in a bank because it's called a river bank. And as we said before, what does a river bank do? It directs the flow of the currency. Because your money is a cash flow, it's currency. Let me give you an example. 
when a ship when a ship pulls into harbor, it comes in on water. Say eight hundred million dollars worth of Toyotas came in this morning at the harbor, and when it parks, it parks at the dock. All ships, by law, are female. Rocket ships, sailing ship, airships, it doesn't matter. If it's a ship, it's female. That's why you always, captains will always say, she's a very seaworthy, she's very this, she is this, and she's that. Because all ships, by law, are female. Why? Because she delivers the product. The airship, 747, delivering a product, you. You paid $800 to go somewhere. That's a, We're talking business. You're transporting something. Yeah, transporting you. You're a product. The whole idea of, of the water, the, the law of water, is the law of money. So when you when you go through the, 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 the gates on the, uh, on the Panama Canal, you're opening up the water gate. <clears throat> so when you're in court, they call your name and you put your hand on and you open the, the gate. You're not licensed to pass the bar. Only attorneys are licensed to pass the bar. Therefore, when you walk past that gate in a courtroom, officially, the way it actually works, and you ask, ask any good lawyer who's intellectually honest and will tell you the truth, that when you walk in past that gate, you are officially, as far as the court is concerned, dead. You are a dead man. You do not exist. You died. And therefore, you cannot speak to the, the judge. Because why? Because dead people don't normally stand up and talk to you when you go visiting a cemetery. And so you have to have someone speak for you. So the attorney is your mouthpiece. He speaks for you. Why? Because in point of fact, lawfully, you are considered to be dead. You're finished. You're dead. And so he will speak for you. And because why? You're in hot water. And if he can't speak for you correctly, then somebody's going to have to bail you mm-hmm. out. That's what happens if your ship is going under. Yeah. It's taking on water. You're going under. So they're going to have to bail you out. And since your body is 90% water and you're a biological battery of water, they're going to, if you can't get bailed out, they're going to take your body, which is a bi- biological battery, 90% water, and they're going to put you in a cell, like a battery, as a cell. So they're going to put you in a cell, and now your body, which is a biological battery, is in the cell. That's the electricity or energy. And that energy can now be sold to corporations that need the energy they need the corporation energy so they can sell your body to corporations so uh, sears and general motors general electric will buy your body uh, while you're in the cell so your your body when you're in the cell is making a lot of money for some people they're buying your you're buying your bond and a lot of people do not know that your physical body is a security on the New York Stock Exchange. Well, that goes back to, uh, you know, that had to do with that transformed back in, was it 1913 and then 33 yeah, when we right. uh, uh, became surety when they formed the Department of Human Resources. And that's, that's right. Uh, each one of us is surety for the, uh, you know. For uh, the body social. Correct. The body social. And, you know, the whole body, uh, like, like, for instance, um, if you're working for General Motors, well, General Motors is all over the damn earth. They're in India. 
So they're all over the earth. It doesn't matter. If you're working for General Motors, no matter what country, no matter where it is, then you are an employee of General Motors, period. Okay? So the entire company, no matter where it is, is one corporation, one company. And so in law, it's referred to, General Motors is referred to, and any big corporation is referred to as a body, social. It's a social body. It's called Ford Motor Company. It's made up of people. It's a social body. And so it's called body politics, the body social. And so when you your body is worth like $6 million on the New York Stock Exchange, you don't know that. You're not supposed to know that your body is worth millions of dollars on the New York Stock Exchange. But it is. And therefore, your body is a security for the corporation called United States Company, the United States Corporation, and your security for that corporation. So when you retire, which means when you get off from work, you're leaving, you're retiring for the evening, or after 65 years, you're retiring, you get uh, you get a, a, a benefit of the money that you have been, that's been used, you know, that the corporation has used you for all your life, they get the use of your body, which is worth money on the stock exchange, which you didn't know. So therefore, you get a dividend back for the for the use of your body, and it's called social security. No, no, your body is a security for the body social. Now they're giving you part of it back, and they call it social security. So if you understand how this thing works. I'm not saying it's evil or bad. I'm just saying you need to understand how the world works. And, uh, you know, I, I've said, I've used this example before. If you have a two-story building and you're going to put a lot of weight on the second floor, think about it. First off, if you've got any brains at all, you go downstairs, get a building inspector, get on a ladder, and go up through the ceiling tiles on the first floor, and look at the foundation of the floor you're going to build on. Before you start putting heavy equipment like printing presses and everything on the second floor, you better find out the foundation is going to hold that kind of weight. So what you're doing is you're standing underneath of what you're going to build on. You're standing under the foundation, which is where we get our word understanding. Mm -hmm. So unless you can stand under the world you live on, then you don't understand. And so that's what I've been saying for years. Nobody seems to understand how the world works. Courts are just a game. It's a game. It's called the commerce game. And how do you play the commerce game? It's two teams. You play, you play tennis on a court. You play basketball on a court. It's a game. How do you play tennis on a court? You play with a racket. Come on. Understand how this stuff works. It's a racket. And so, racket. yeah, it's a big racket. It's a basketball. It's tennis. It's a game. Uh, any game, you're going to have to have uh, a referee. So the judge is a referee. When the judge walks out, everyone rises. The same thing was when a Catholic priest walks out, everyone rises. It's just a game. It's called maritime admiralty, the law of water. All of this is just a beginning of the things I want to talk about. Yeah. All of this stuff is fascinating when you begin to really understand what you're doing in this life, what is really going on. So, um, you know, I, my feeling is if you, 
You need to wake up and, and realize that the world is not what you thought it was. Nothing works the way you think it does. You've been, you need to educate yourself. Yep. You need to have somebody explain it to you. Knock and it will be open. Seek and you will find, but ask and it will be given. I'm trying to give to the world knowledge. And that's very dangerous. You know, I think, therefore I am. No, it's I think, therefore I am dangerous. <laughs> Real intelligent wisdom and knowledge is, can be very dangerous. The government you live under is not interested in you finding out how they do what they do. You need to understand how the world works. And the basis for America, or I should say the basis for the white man's system, the system of the white man or the white man's culture is in Europe, north, east, west, and south. Incidentally, that's where we get the word news, north, east, west, and south, N-E-W-S, news. So anything that happens in north, east, west, or south is news, right? <laughs> but, but, but in Europe, uh, north, east, and west, and southern Europe is all, even before the Roman Empire was dominated by the white man, what we call the, the European white man. In that system we call Europe, for thousands of years, there was already a fully operational governmental system even before the Roman Empire. It was referred to the white man system of government in, Rome, in, in, uh, in Europe was called the Druids. The Druids were the priests, the doctors, the lawyers, the teachers, they were religious leaders, they were everything. Anything that's uh, important in, in white man's culture was a Druid running it. And so America is a Druid country. If you don't understand Druidism, you're not going to understand America. You're not going to understand any of it. But um, one of the most important symbols in the Druid system was a magic wand, like uh, today's uh, orchestra leaders with the magic wand. Harry Potter. Harry Potter with the magical wand. And, um, and, you know, and Merlin, the magician with his Hollywood. magic wand. Well, magic wands were always made out of the wood of a holly tree. It's made out of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Okay? Period. And that's why today we have something called Hollywood. You need to realize and understand what Hollywood is, how this world operates behind the scenes, who runs the banks, who who gave you your educational institutions, there's a whole world of knowledge we have not been privy to know about, and I'm suggesting that the whole world needs to wake up. The whole human race is being manip- manipulated and exploited, and the rich are growing richer, the poor are growing poorer, and the reason why, as you said before, people have no power in America. Well, they don't have any power anywhere in the rest of the world, too. But the reason why they don't have any power in our country, which used to be a very powerful country, but Americans don't have any power anymore. Why? Simple. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. And you have no knowledge. Well, the truth will also set you free. That's it. Know the truth and it will set you free. The Bible has has God saying in the Old Testament, my people are dying from a lack of knowledge. And one of the most important scriptures in the Old Testament I think it's probably the most important thing I've ever heard in the Bible ever was a scripture that says, where there is no vision, the people perish. I'll say it again. It's very powerful thought. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's why our country is dying. That's why our country is falling apart. 
That's why the whole world is dying, is because there is no vision. People have no idea in the world what's going on. They have no vision. They don't know where they've come from. They have no idea what they're doing now or where they're going. They have no idea. They're cattle. They're just like animals out on the Serengeti Plains, out there with their children, uh, eating grass, never realizing there are lions who are creeping up on the on the herd. The lions are organized. They know what they're doing. It's the masses of animals out there on the Serengeti Plains that have no idea in the world the lions are planning dinner. And they're, they're sliding quietly in the grass, moving up on you. So that's where the human race is today. We, are, as a human family on the earth today, are not able to protect ourselves from the predators. We are not able to take care of The human race cannot take care of itself because there is no vision. And where there is no vision, the people perish. Vision means you have insight. People have no insight. They don't know what's going on. No one's ever told them anything. All they've got is beer and pretzels and ball games. They have no knowledge. And knowledge is power. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what the whole essence of this show is all about, just to tell people the truth. Know the truth, and it will set you free. Astrology, well, everybody knows what astrology is, generally speaking. Astrotheology is the religion of the stars. Astro, the stars. Theology is the worship of God. So it's the worship of the heavens. The worship of the heavens is called astrotheology. Interesting that the word theology comes from a Greek word for God. In Greek, the word God is theo, T-H-E-O, theo, or T-H-E, the. T-H-E in Greek is God, theo. That's why the study of God is called theology, or uh, theo, God rule is theocratic, or the study of, of God is called theology. This is why um, in churches, in the ancient Greek world, there were no churches, there was something called a theater, and it was called the God Show. So one Sunday, you would go to the theater. The is God. And theater, well, that's the same idea. You go to a theater, you, you pay money, and you sit down and watch a show. It's called a theater. <laughs> so today, we have the same uh, theater, it's called church. You put the money in, you go get a little sandwich or some hot dogs or something, and go in there and sit and watch a show. And you leave the show, and you feel very good. You don't know what the hell is going on, but you felt very good. You paid, and you lost $30. <laughs> and so it's just a show. And that's why I always say, come on, it's just a show, for God's sake. It's like saying the Bible is the greatest story ever told. Yes, it's just a story. Come on. Just a story. It's called astrotheology. Theology, the is God in Greek, and ology is the study of. So the study of God is astrotheology. Asking these five-year-old where God is, they'll point straight out, God's in heaven. Well, if he's in heaven, that means he's not terrestrial. That means he's extraterrestrial. He's not from here. God is not from Cleveland. <laughs> and uh, I remember a long time ago, Art, Art Linklet, I had a thing called Children Say the Funniest Things, and he had little kids on the interview, 
and he was asking this little kid, he said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And the kid said, I want to be a, uh, I want to be a missionary, Christian missionary. And he said, oh, that's a wonderful idea. He says, uh, and, and the kid said, yeah, I want to go someplace where they've never heard about God ever and, and, you know, and bring the message about God. And he said, well, that, what a wonderful idea. He said, well, have you ever thought where you'd like to go? He said, yeah, I'd like to start in Cleveland. the kid was clever Uh but uh but the point is that astro theology is the study of god in heaven well that's where god is is in heaven and when you understand jesus the story of jesus in the new testament and the bible the story of jesus the reason why you have so much uh, misunderstanding and so many contradictory stories. Every church has a different story. Every church has a different, completely, totally. Nobody, there's no two Christians on the earth agree on anything. The reason why is because nobody knows what they're talking about. It's very simple once you understand where the story came from. But that's a whole story in itself. Where did Christianity actually come from? Well, nothing grows out of a out of a, uh, a vacuum. You know, things develop, and then things develop from that, and then things develop from that. Before you know it, things evolve, evolve, and today we got certain. You know, we got a, a Maseratis. Yeah, but one time, back in the 1900s, they had a, a Model D Ford. Today they got Maseratis. Yeah, but things, you know, things evolve, and 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 um, and so. A religion evolves. Everything evolves. And, and so, but all I'm saying is that Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are actually based on a very ancient story. That's why the Bible is referred to as the greatest story ever told. It's a story. It's not a collection of historical facts. It's the greatest story ever told. Because it's an encoded, uh, meta, metaphysical encoded story. The Greeks, as I said, the Greek word for God is Theo, T-H-E-O, The, T-H-E. Um, gives us our word theater, theocrat, theocracy, T-H-E. And so it was, it was you know, in, in ancient Greek, it was called the God show. It was called a theater. So you go to the show. It's like any other theater. You go to a show, you sit down, you pay money, and uh, they give you some crackers and a cup of tea or something, and you sit and watch a show. And then you leave the show. Well, of course, in Greece, you left a show with something spiritually that you were taught. You were taught by the ancient Greek um, theocrats. You were taught by the ancient teachers of Greece, all these philosophical concepts and ideas about life and the gods and all that. Well, then you learn something from Greek philosophy. It was very interesting. So it's called the Greek, the, the God Show. Unlike today, when you go to a church today, it's a God Show, but you'll learn nothing. <laughs> you go there for 40 years, and you still know what they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. But all you know is, by God, I love the Lord Jesus. And I was there and in the church. That's all I, and I love the Lord. Praise the Lord. You say, well, yeah, praise him. Praise the Lord. And you say, but wait a minute, you've been going for that church in 40 years? Yeah, every Sunday. Can you explain to me one thing that you have ever learned in 40 years? No, they don't know. 
<laughs> all they know is Jesus uh, this or Jesus that and the Lord Jesus. That's all they know. That's it. You said, what kind of a school would this be if you go to a school for 40 years and come out and you don't know your butt from a hole in the ground? A pretty bad school. Very bad. <laughs> you need to go back and get your money back because they didn't teach you anything. So once you understand that um, religion, all of Western religion, Judaism, Christianity, uh, and Islam are based on astral theology. Astral theology goes back into Sumeria, the ancient Babylonians, Sumerians, Akkadians, the Egyptians, especially the uh, the Hindus, um, Phoenician Canaanites, Sumerians, as I said. Uh, all of those ancient cultures from the prehistoric and ancient world already knew and understood all kinds of stuff that we are just trying to learn today. They knew stuff about our universe and about the stars and about the life in the universe that we don't even begin to uh, understand today. We're trying to still study the Babylonian uh, cuneiform writings and trying to figure out how did they build a pyramid? How How did they build all these great temples? And what did these temples mean? And where did these ideas and concepts for uh, building temples and, and all these great uh, pyramids and all this kind of stuff that's all over the world and all cultures off the coast of Japan and the ocean are great temples, incredibly beautiful temples in the ocean off the coast of Okinawa and and uh, and, uh, and off the coast of uh, Florida, as I've said, um, pyramids. Huge pyramids sitting out in the ocean floor. Off the coast of Cuba, there were huge uh, temples and all kinds of incredible uh, places under the seas. What in the world is that all about? Well, it tells you that uh, basically what it's saying is that there must have been a time a long time ago when civilizations existed on this earth and they, they were dry and then something happened where now those lands sunk down in a great earthquake or whatever, just collapsed into caverns, because we know there are caverns on the earth, and maybe because of the weight and because of elect- because of an earthquake or something, uh, on, you know, liquefied the uh, in an earthquake, sometimes they liquefy ground, and a huge city could just collapse into a big cavern. They didn't know it was a mile down. But when it collapses, we have sinkholes today. We're all... Half a city just collapsed and fall into a hole, sinkholes. Well, hell, maybe that's what happened to Atlantis. You know, the Bible it doesn't say that Atlantis was inundated by water from a from a flood. It doesn't say that at all. Uh, you know, when you, when you read about what happened to the world, it says that that uh, for 40 days and 40 nights, well, it's been estimated by university studies that rain and the most most severe possible rain you could have would not even begin to cover the Earth's surface for 40 days and 40 nights. If you had the terrible rain for 40 days and 40 nights, it probably would cause six or eight foot of water on the Earth or in Europe or somewhere, but it's not going to cover Mount Everest, period. It would cause a flash flood somewhere, maybe. Absolutely. A flash flood, horrible, terrible destruction, but uh, covering Mount Everest and covering the whole Earth, the globe of the Earth, no, 
No. Not going to happen? No. So what was this whole story about the flood? Well, it, it goes back to, as I said, it goes back to ancient stories coming out of Babylonia, Phoenicia, Cana. <clears throat> but, um, you know, if you ask, as I said, you ask a child, uh, where is God? A child will point up into heaven. Well, if you go out at night, if you go out at night on, uh, on a beautiful night <clears throat> in a desert and look up, you see an incredible sky. What are you looking at? When you're on the desert and you're looking up at the incredible, beautiful stars, what are you actually looking at? What are you looking into? What are you looking at? The universe. That's right. What is another word for that? What's another word for the universe? When you're looking out there, what are you looking into? What's another word for it? The sky? The sky. Okay. What's another word? Outer space. Okay, and what's another word? Um, the heavens. I guess, yeah. Was that be, would that be a, a term that you could use when you're looking into the heavens? That's what. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so therefore, where's God? In the heavens. That's right. In the heavens. Outer space. That's right. That's right. Somewhere in the universe. That's right. Therefore, if he's not, if if he's from, if he's in the heavens then that means God is in heaven. Well, that's what the religion says, God's in heaven. I mean, he's not from Cincinnati, so he's got to be from somewhere. Well, he's from out there. I hate to tell you this. I don't know if you've ever thought about this very deeply, but if God is from out there, he's extraterrestrial. It means he's not from this earth. Now, if he's born in Alabama, that's different. Now, he's terrestrial. Terrestrial means of the earth. Cleveland. But, yeah, Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> But if he's not from uh, from the earth, then he's extraterrestrial. You need to appreciate that Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all three can be traced back to something called astrotheology, and that's what I want to talk about. The beginnings of all world religions, not all world spiritual movements, not like uh, the, uh, uh, for instance, Buddhism is not based on astrotheology. That's a, that's a spiritual discipline. But I'm talking about especially the people of the book. The three major religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, are referred to as the people of the book because all three religions require a book. Christians have the Bible. Jews have the Torah and the uh, and all the other books, and of course Islam has um, the um, the holy book of Islam, the Quran. So what I'm saying is this. Let me let me explain to you what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I heard one time one of my teachers said, when you're giving a lecture, you tell the you tell your audience what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them. And then you explain what it was you told them. <laughs> and if they still don't get it, that's your problem. Then right? they're never going to get it. <laughs> they're never going to get it. Right. But uh, so what I'm going to try and explain to you is the is the actual beginnings of where Christianity got its concepts. Now, we're not talking about the organizational arrangement called Christianity, the church history. I'm not talking about church history. That's a whole different subject. 
but I'm talking about the philosophical concepts and ideas that have given birth to what we call Christianity. Because Christianity as a belief system is based on far, far more ancient uh, ancient systems of philosophy and ancient ideas, which, as far as I'm concerned, is the basis for what might be called today a new world religion. We hear a lot of, especially Christians, crying about this new world religion and the new age and all the devil worshiping and the Luciferian devil worshiper and all this, this stuff about the new age. Well, I'm telling you that there is, in fact, a new age religion, which is actually the oldest religion on the face of the earth. And I personally believe that this new age religion that the Christians are talking about is the story in the Bible. The Bible is a new age document. And, I mean, we could go into that for hours. I could show you all the the scriptures on that, showing that the Bible is a new age document. And that I am totally, this is my, Jordan Maxwell saying this, I am totally convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christianity as we have it today is a, is a lost cause. It's a mockery. It's a joke. There's nothing very serious about Christianity anymore. It's a big joke. All you gotta do is watch the TVN, TBN, Trinity Broadcasting. If that doesn't give you a laugh, nothing's going to. No, you're it's right. A, it's a, it's a sick joke of these, of these effeminate, goofy, mentally disordered goofballs jumping around, hollering, hooping and hollering and spitting all over each other and falling on the stage and, and uh, going into convulsions on the stage and throwing a jacket at each other. and Theater. Yeah, it's a theater. It's a God show. Yep. There's nothing spiritual about it. These people are making hundreds of millions of dollars a month. It's a show. And, of course, the Scripture said that there would come a day when the entire world would be in the power of the wicked one, you know, so the entire world is now completely lost. They have lost their, they have lost their spirituality. They've lost their connections with the divine. They've lost their money. They've lost their home. They've lost their government. And now they're just losing their minds. It's embarrassing. It's very, very embarrassing. Adults jumping around on stage, spitting and crying and jumping around. And they call that Christianity. <clears throat> and they're so righteous about it. And they're very righteous. Holier than thou, you know. Uh, Jan and Paul Crouch. So there's a there's a there's a real team. Mm-hmm. You know, like Bonnie and Clyde. Yep. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde, Jan and Paul Crouch. Well, I had a friend who passed away, so I, I can talk about it now. He passed away about four years ago, five years ago now. It was a dear dear friend, and he he had a PhD, a master's. Uh, and the Dead Sea Scrolls. He was one of the few people who actually had a master's, uh, did his master's uh, work on, I mean, did his doctoral work on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Wow. And so he was a master on it. So I would sit and talk with him. He, this guy's got a PhD in the, doc, in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he lived down in, uh, in uh, Huntington Beach. No, is it Huntington Beach? No, Balboa. 
Balboa Island. And uh, he was a he went he had gotten his uh, PhD from uh, Claremont School of Theology. Well, Claremont happens to be one of the two universities in America who actually has a full photographic uh, representation of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Israel gave two complete photographic, top-of-the-line, clean, crisp photographic reproductions of the entire Dead Sea Scroll find. They gave it to America for safekeeping in case something were to happen in, in Israel with a world war. They did not want the, 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 the Dead Sea Scrolls to be obliterated, you know, lost forever. So they made two complete sets and gave two of them. I don't know how many more they made, but they made two sets for America. And they're both in California. One is at these, uh, at the, uh, University and Claremont. Claremont School of Theology has a complete set of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, Dr. My, this doctor friend of mine got his PhD studying the Dead Sea Scrolls, and he did a, he did a, a doctoral thesis on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and 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 his his doctoral work was on astrology in the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was his doctoral thesis was astrology in the Dead Sea Scrolls. No one had ever written about that. They had a little bit, John Allegro had talked about it a little bit, and some of the guys on the Dead Sea Scrolls Commission in Israel talked about it. But generally speaking, there had never been a doctoral thesis done on the Dead Sea Scrolls and astrology. So he did it. And he did it so well, he got his PhD, got his doctorate because of it. Mm-hmm. So the guy was extraordinarily bright and brilliant on the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Jewish religion, the ancient Hebrew, all of that. And I used to go down to visit him all the time. Uh, and um, I wish I could remember the doctor who was in Long Beach, who was also in the Dead Sea Scrolls Commission. Was a he was a, down there in, in Orange uh, in uh, uh, in Orange County, but he was also in the Dead Sea Scrolls Commission. I'll think of his name. Um, but anyway, so my friend who was a, uh, who got his PhD on the Dead Sea Scrolls. We would sit for hours and listen to him, and he would explain uh, the Hebrew religion, where it came from, who the Jews were, and who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, and what was really in it that nobody knows. But then he told me, he says, and so after I got my doctorate, I started my own church. I incorporated my own church, and it was, it was called the Church of the Americas, I think. I was asked, he was asked to travel all over the world to give lectures on the Dead Sea Scrolls, etc. And he said, but after looking at Judaism and studying it and getting a PhD in it, uh, I became to, I came to the conclusion that the whole entire story of Judaic Christianity is full of bull. <laughs> that's, that's what got in a, getting a PhD did. That's what, that's what it get from doing a PhD. Mm-hmm. And getting a doctorate in theology, because you gotta really do your stuff. You gotta know what you're talking about, right? Yep. And in order to get your, in order to get a PhD in it, well, because this guy was so good, he, he, he said, after looking at Judaism and Christianity, and a little bit of Islam, he said, but looking at Judaism and Christianity and getting a PhD in Dead Sea Scrolls, I am totally convinced the whole thing is a crock of bowl. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing. Yep. And he says, uh-huh. so 
There are things in the Dead Sea Scrolls that will never be given to the people. Never. They will never be told what's really in the Dead Sea Scrolls that the church in Israel does not want anyone to know about, and they ain't never going to know. And so he told me, and I feel better about talking about this now that he's gone anyway. He says, so when I left the church, I founded a church and had all kinds of accolades. I mean, when I go to his home, he had all these certificates from universities around the world that give him an honorary doctorate there, an honorary doctorate there, and very, very smart guy. And But he unfortunately became a confirmed alcoholic. And uh, I don't think I ever saw him draw a sober breath. He was one of the most decent, kindest, funny, clever, resourceful, and highly intelligent guys you'll ever want to meet. Very interesting to talk to. I mean, my God, he could talk for hours on ancient different religions of the world, the ancient languages of the world. The guy's got a doctorate in the subject, you know, and so especially you want to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah, listen to this guy. <laughs> and he would tell you stuff that was in the Dead Sea Scrolls nobody's ever heard. So he told me, <clears throat> he said, I became so disillusioned with Christianity and Judaism that I decided I've, I've had enough. I don't know if I'm an atheist or not, but I don't know what it is I am anymore. I'm through. I'm through with the whole thing because I know too much. I've studied it too much now, and I know too much, so I, I'm no longer a Christian. I am no longer care about the Jewish religion. I don't care about any of it. So he said, so with that kind of a background, PhDs, uh, sought after all over the world to speak, you know what he ended up doing? Drinking. Absolutely. That's all he was. Just says a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. He just said, he said, as far as I'm concerned, as long as I have a bottle... And uh, and I have a nice home to live in. He did. He come from a family with money, so he had a nice home by the ocean, and it's always a beautiful home. He had a little pier with his boat and everything. And he said, "That's it. I just want to stay drunk. I don't even want to see a sober day." And so he told me. He said, "I said, oh, I have a job. Got to work every day like anybody else." And I said, "Well, where do you work?" And he said, "I work in a liquor store." <laughs> Discount, <laughs> right? So, uh, and I thought that was funny. Here's a PhD and, and doctorate and, and, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls sought after doctor on theology and religion. All these years of background experience, world traveler. And today, you know, he works as a, in a liquor store. That's it. And he said, I, it's like going to heaven. I work at a liquor store. <laughs> Got all the, all the liquor I want. Bring it home. <laughs> it just goes to show you heaven is subjective. That's right. Yeah. So he told me, he says, now as he needs, uh, so he was uh, worked in a liquor store on, uh, not Coronado, uh, not on, uh, uh, Balboa Island, but, uh, that city that enters to Balboa Island. What is it? Uh, Newport? Newport. Yeah. But he was a dear friend of mine. And uh, we sat for days and hours and hours, talked about theology and religion, etc. And he gave me stacks and stacks of documents that he had been studying, and he just gave it all to me. Said, Here it is. There's all the stuff on the Disney Scrolls. Nobody's ever going to know it, but this was my PhD. He said, take it and have it. So I And I've got like four or five hours of, of interviews with him in private talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls and religion and Judaism and everything. But uh, the point of all of this story is, 
is that when I ask him, well, where do you work? He said, oh, I still work. I have to, I, I, I can't do any, I can't just waste my life away. So I got to have a job, do something. So I work at the liquor store. Just where I got all the free liquor I want, right? And he says, and our best customer who comes in about every two to three weeks, our best customer that comes in, they buy cases of 100 proof vodka, 100 proof this, 100 proof that, the best of the best, top of the line booze, but they order it by the cases, four or five cases of this, seven or eight cases of that, as Paul and Jan Crouch. And he said, Paul and Jan Crouch, they buy more liquor than I could ever conceive that anybody could use. <laughs> he said that they buy cases of, of hard liquor. They're not drinking it. They give it away as presents. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> to the congregation. Right, to the congregation. And he right. said, those people are profound alcoholics. He said, I've seen him come in here looped and have to have somebody uh, holding his uh, holding him up. And he comes in. He's looped to the gills, and he's ordering seven cases of this, seven, eight, eight cases of that. He said, those people drink like there's no tomorrow. But if you understand, they're making hundreds of millions of dollars a month, and there's nothing else to do but drink and build beautiful homes for yourself and buy yachts and build homes and buy properties around the world and drink. Have a good time. It's a disgusting, and he said, these people are, to me, absolutely disgusting because they don't mind you knowing that they are drunks and they couldn't care less. They're paying, they're paying good money. And he said, my company loves them. The, the liquor store loves them. These people spend a lot of money at the store. He said, me, I don't care. I'll just take the cases out to the truck and put it in their big vans, load up the truck. And he said, Paul and Jan Crouch are alcoholics galore. You have no idea who these people really are and where the money's coming from and what they're really doing. And he said, I've heard all the stories. I got. All, I, I know personally their bodyguards. The bodyguards come over and get the booze, and I'll sit and talk with the bodyguards with Paul and Jan Crouch, and they said, you have no idea in the world what's going on at TBN. But that's another story. Just understand TBN as a bunch of alcoholic, money bankers, money grubbing. Running the show. Running a show. It's called Theater, the God Show. They dance around the stage and make songs and have people coming in, dancing and singing and and talking about the Lord Jesus. And for twenty nine ninety five, no ups and no downs. Millions. That and much. The people love it. That's not astrotheology. No, no, no. That's that's the modern day Christianity. But if you're really interested in the in the spiritual foundations on which ancient Christianity was built, not this modern-day monstrosity of alcoholics and goofballs, but if you're really interested in the uh, hidden, occult or hidden foundations that you've never heard before, where Christianity developed its ideas from, that is an extraordinarily interesting story about the foundations, the philosophical basis for the stories in the New Testament about Jesus. So I have said this before, I'm stating it again. The New Testament story of Jesus is an encoded story 
codes. You know, you've heard a lot about Bible codes, National Geographics and and the Discovery Channel and History Channel talk about the Bible codes. Well, it's true. There are codes in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in the original Hebrew Bible, I am told by the rabbis that there's at least seven different codes encoded in the old original, not the King James Bible. But in the old ancient Hebrew writings, there's at least seven different codes that the rabbis know about. You don't. They haven't told you. But they're encoded messages in the Old Testament and in the Torah and in some of the other old ancient writings, ancient Hebrew, which are encoded. And the rabbis are taught those codes. So when I hear people talking about Bible codes, I'm saying, yes, that's legitimately a legitimate subject. There are codes. The Hebrew, the, the rabbis will tell you there are, in fact, legitimate codes, and they can show you. If you sit down with them, they'll show you. See how these words are lined up? Every other line is the same words. It's a code. It's encoded. Wow. So you're reading it as if it's a history. It's not history. It's an encoded Word It's encoded uh, ideas, telling you something in secret. The word in, in Latin is occult, simply means hidden, hidden from view. So it's like someone who's, you know, it's like that movie, uh, Beautiful Mind, where the guy was blessed with the ability to see codes. And that's why you have code breakers, people who know how to look at the symbols, watch the way things are configured and see a code in it. It's called pattern recognition, encoding a message. Well, we have that in the military, breaking codes. Well, I'm saying that the story of Christianity, of Jesus in the New Testament, is an encoded story. So if you're reading it as history, you don't have it. That's why if you're reading it as history, like all the churches do, you're going to have a totally different interpretation than the next church, and the next church is going to be totally different because everybody's looking at it as a history, and everybody's uh, uh, ignorant, ill-informed, and unread about history. So everybody's got a different view on what Jesus did, or why he did this, and why he did that. And the Catholics say one thing. Jehovah's Witnesses say different. Then the Mormons will tell you something different. But the Presbyterians will tell you something different. But the, but the Baptists will tell you Everybody's got a different story about Jesus. Everybody's got a different reason why he did this and a different reason why he did that. And you can sit all day long and listen to all the different Christian religions, and all of them will tell you everybody else is crazy and we got the truth. And everybody else in town, all the other Christian churches don't know what they're doing. But we have the truth. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you, we got the whole truth and everybody else is full of bull. Yeah, but that's what the Mormons said about you. The Mormons said they, they had the whole truth that's and what you everyone were full of bull. Says. They all say it. Yeah, but the Catholic Church said both of you full of bull, and they got the truth. Exactly. Everybody, well, but then the Baptist said right. the Catholic Church was full of bull, and they got the truth. Right. Everybody's got the truth. Well, there's only one truth, so who's got it? Well, first of all, nobody's got it. I'll tell you who has the real truth. The ancient Sumerians, the ancient Babylonians, the ancient Phoenician Canaanites, the ancient peoples of the ancient world had the real truth. That's where the temples came from. All of these ancient artifacts and temples and ancient pyramids and all these incredible uh, temples that we find in Egypt. There's where the real truth is. The real truth is you can't build anything like the ancients did because you don't know what they knew. So once you study the ancient foundations of Christianity 
and a lot that's in Judaism, but I'm only talking about Christianity right now. Once you understand that the story of Christianity and the story of Jesus in the Bible is an encoded metaphor, it's an encoded story, and that's the bottom line. Now, once you understand that, it makes sense. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about when I say encoded story. When I was growing up, there was a book kids used to read when little kids called Aesop's Fables. And Aesop's Fables was a book that you would read to children, little kids, four, five, six years old. You would read to them a little book for children called Aesop's Fables. And in this book, it would give you little stories to read to children, but it taught children certain things about morals and ethics and scruples and everything. It would teach a child with a little story. And one of the stories was the, with the famous story, Esau's fable, was the story of the tortoise, the, the race between the tortoise and the rabbit. The very famous old story from hundreds of years ago. So you teach the child and tell the little kid a story about the race between the, the tortoise, the, 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 the turtle, and the rabbit. Well, obviously the rabbit can run faster than the turtle. So the story was that the rabbit ran all the way up to the goal line, and then to be presumptuous and arrogant, he's already there. The race hadn't even started. He's already there. So he lays down under the tree to rest while the tortoise, he hadn't even started yet. So he's already there. But he's not going to cross the goal line yet. Doesn't need to. He's got plenty of time. So he relaxes under the tree, and the old tortoise just plugs along, and by the time he gets up to where the rabbit was, the rabbit's sound asleep, he crosses the goal line. And so the, the tortoise, the, uh, the the turtle, won the race. Which means, just because you're fast doesn't mean you're going to win the race. Just because you're wealthy and handsome and got all the money and everything going for you, that doesn't mean anything. You may be in a car accident tomorrow, an auto accident, and die. While some old man who's been working all his life in a little little Mickey Mouse job has got a beautiful family, a beautiful wife and children and grandchildren and many, many friends and has a beautiful home and he lives to be 90 years old and is enjoying life. And you, you died at 30. I mean, you thought you had everything. You didn't have nothing. You were killed in an auto accident. Or you drank yourself, you, you, you overdosed in drugs. So the point being is that um, you tell a child this story about the race between the rabbit and the tortoise to show them just because you're fast does not mean you're going to win the race. Just because you're handsome and good-looking or, or wealthy, it doesn't mean you're, you're better than anybody else. Don't presume. Don't presume anything. Because maybe the one person you thought was a nobody, he couldn't do anything, he might end up being president, and he might end up being a wealthy man, and you end up being broke. You don't know what tomorrow brings, so don't be presumptuous. Well, that's called Aesop's fable. It was just one of them. So I'm saying that Christianity, the original story of Christianity, was like Aesop's fable. It's an encoded story. And once you... Get once you understand what the players, what Jesus represented, what the apostles represented, what the different players in the Bible, the different stories, and what what happened. Once you understand all of these different characters and people in the Bible and the Bible story of Jesus, 
they represented a symbol. They represented something. And so then you begin to see that the whole story of Jesus is an encoded story right in front of you, and you never saw it. Why? Because you were looking at the story of Jesus in the Bible as history. It's not history. It's a story. That's why the Bible is referred to. The Jesus story in the Bible and the New Testament, the New Testament is referred to in religion as the greatest story ever told. And it is. It is the greatest story ever told. Why? Because it's the oldest story that's ever been told. It is the only story that's ever been told. Therefore, it's the greatest story ever told. It's a story. It's not our oldest collection of facts on the earth. No, it's the greatest story ever told. So then, if you really want to get something from Christianity, you need to understand it's a story. It's an encoded story. And what you have today of the, in the churches is a blasphemous stupidity. Absolutely ludicrous on the face of it, jumping around, taking people's money, ripping them off, uh, spitting on yourself, falling all over the stage, jumping around, ranting and raving about Jesus as in Jesus that. And you have no idea in the world what you're doing is misleading the people of the world. And that's why <clears throat> there's a story in the Bible and the New Testament where someone comes to Jesus and they have a seed in their hand <clears throat> and they have a seed and they ask Jesus, what kind of seed is this? And Jesus says to them, it's a metaphor, it's a symbolic story. And so they said to Jesus, this is a seed we found. What kind of a seed is it? And he said, why don't you plant the thing? Why don't you plant it in the earth, water it, and watch what grows. And if a tree, if an apple tree grows up, well, then I guess that's what it was. It was an apple seed, arrowhead. But if a, if a pear tree grows up, I guess it was a pear seed. Does that make any sense to you? Instead of me guessing what kind of a seed it is, plant the thing and water it. Let's see what comes up. Because there's no better way to tell what kind of a seed it is. Let it grow. You'll find out what it is. If it's got oranges on it, I guess it was an orange seed. <clears throat> Does that make any sense? It makes sense. Okay. So therefore, Jesus went on to say, the Bible says, Jesus went on to say, by their fruits, you shall know them. Therefore, as you go through life, don't listen to what people tell you. Look at what they do. By their fruits, you shall know them. They will tell you, oh, I just love the Lord Jesus, and oh, I'm this, and oh, I'm holy, and oh, I go to church. I don't want to hear all that stuff. What are you really doing? What are you really? Who are you really? What are you really doing? All that drinking on the weekend and screwing around with your neighbor's wife and messing around in government and cheating people and treating people like crap. I mean, really, what are who are you really? I know all that stuff you tell me about how holy you are and the church you go to and all that. But who are you really? Because by their fruits, you will know them. The story in the Bible, the story of Jesus in the New Testament, can be boiled down to, and believe me, it's going to take about four hours for me to lay out all of the proof of what I'm saying. I can prove every word I'm saying. But let me give you 
the bottom line, and then don't hang up on me. Just listen. Because immediately, most people go, oh, that's a bunch of bull. I don't want to hear this. Well, then you will miss something. The bottom line on Christianity, the teachings of Christ and the teaching of the uh, and the whole story about Jesus in the New Testament is actually very simple. It was so simple, no one saw it because it's right there in front of you. The bottom line story in the New Testament story of Jesus is this, a war between light and darkness. Simple. That's it. Night and day. That's exactly right. Day and night. That's right. The war between light and darkness. There are 12 hours of light in which man is happy because he can rule the world and he can grow plants and he can be in charge of the earth and he can build buildings and he can do wonderful things because it's warm out and the, the, and the, the, the weather is nice and it's very warm and he's in charge. He can see everything because his eyes are fixed to, to see things in the light. So he's learning great things, doing great things, having a ball, being human in the light. But when it gets dark, it gets cold and freezing cold at night. The boogeyman comes out. Uh, all these demons and devils and all these evil things come out at night. The boogeyman's going to get you. We're scared of the dark as children. So there's always been a war. The ancient, ancient peoples. Thousands and thousands of years before the Roman Empire ever existed. Thousands of years before even the Grecian Empire existed. The ancient peoples of the world realized there's a war going on in heaven between light and darkness. So you have 12 hours of light. Thank God we got light. We got warmth. We got the sunlight. And everything is wonderful because we're in control. Humans are in control. But at night is when the predator animals come out. That's when the lions come out to eat. That's when the animals come out. All the, the predator animals around the world, the dogs, the animals, they and the animals on the Serengeti Plains of Africa, the animals come out at night. And they're coming out to eat. So therefore, during the daytime, when it's nice and warm out in sunlight, you might want to start building a house and building a fire. Because at 6.30, the sun's going down and the animals are coming out to eat. So if you want to protect your wife and your children, you better build something around you tonight because the lions are coming out tonight. The animals are coming out. So you better prepare yourself for the prince of darkness. And so therefore, there's a war on the earth between light and darkness between wonderful light of life and the horrible darkness of the prince of darkness. And so there's a war going on between light and darkness. That's the basis for the New Testament story of Jesus. Now, Jesus in the story represents a metaphor. In this understanding, Jesus is not an actual man who actually lived. But Jesus is a metaphor, a symbolic player in the story. Therefore, Jesus represents, he said, the Bible has Jesus saying, I am the truth and the light. And nobody comes to God unless he comes through me. 
I am the truth and the light, and no man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. So therefore, Jesus has now established himself symbolically as representing in the story the truth and the light. Therefore, his opposer, the one who is the evil one, is called the prince of darkness. Therefore, the devil is always, appreci- uh, is always appropriately the prince of darkness. Why? Because evil things happen in the dark. Murder happens at night. People get drunk. There were killings. There were all kinds of horrible things happen at night in the cover of darkness. So that uh, when you get into all the occult stuff going on with child sacrifice, all those are works of darkness. Because people who are enlightened don't do those kind of things. So, therefore, the works of darkness are evil. Obviously, they're evil. Well, take a D, the letter D, and put it in front of the word evil. It becomes devil. (laughs) And take an O out of the word good, and becomes God. God is good and devil is evil. We're talking words here. Concepts. The devil is the prince of darkness, while Jesus is the truth and the light. Therefore, the whole story of Christianity, and I'm going to go through about four hours of it, but the basic story is that the truth and the light, Jesus, is doing battle with his evil brother, evil with a D in front of it, becomes devil. And so the devil is the prince of darkness, and Jesus is the, is the truth and the light. Therefore, the whole story of Christianity is what happens to the truth and the light in this world. What happens to the truth and the light in this world that we live in? Well, first of all, it's laughed at, it's spit on, it's nailed to a cross, it's uh, it's arrested, it's trampled on, spit on. Nobody wants anything to do with him. And he's outcast, and he's hated. That's what exactly true. The truth and the light is spit on, laughed at, mocked. Nobody wants to hear the truth. You know, like like uh, like the movie star. You know, uh, what was his name? Who said? Uh, um, the the officer in the military when the kid you can't handle the truth yeah that's Nicholson. it so he asked he asked Tom Cruise you know, so the older guy asked Tom Cruise yeah what do you want from me son and he said I want the truth he said you can't handle the truth you ain't man enough to handle the truth you want to have the real truth I'll tell you the real truth And so that's why, let's see how big a man you are. You want to hear the real truth? I'll tell you what the real truth is. The whole idea is that there's a war between the truth and the light. Jesus said, I am the truth and the light. And his great enemy was his evil brother. Evil with a D. Devil. So therefore the devil was the prince of darkness. And he's doing battle with the prince of light. The truth and the light. So the bottom line on Christianity is what happens to the truth and the light in this world. So whatever Jesus said in the Bible, that's what the truth and the light would say. But whatever happened to Jesus, well, that's what happens to the truth and the light. 
whatever, wherever the, uh, wherever Jesus went, well, that's where the truth and the light went. Well, what happened to the truth and the light when it got there? Well, that's what happened to the truth and the light when you see what happened to Jesus. And so when you begin to see there's a correlation between the truth and the light doing battle with the devil or evil. Now, the truth and the light is referred to as God's son. Well, that's what Jesus is called, God's son. Why? It's because the son, S-U-N, is the light of the world. And, well, of course, Jesus is referred to as the light of the world. He said, I am Jesus, I am the light of the world. And so we call him God's son. S-U-N. God's son. Since nobody owns the son. China doesn't own it. Africa doesn't own it. And we think we own the whole goddamn universe in America. But we don't even own the sun. So since we don't own the sun and nobody else on the earth owns the sun, then who owns the sun? That comes up every morning. Who owns it? Well, logic alone would tell you it must be God because ain't nobody on the earth owns it, so it must be God. I don't know. So it's God's son. Well, that's what we call Jesus, God's son. And we say that Jesus is the light of the world. Well, of course the sun is the light of the world. What else lights the world if it's not the sun? So God's son is our risen savior. Of course the sun, S-U-N, is your risen savior. Every morning about 5.30, he rises. And it is your risen savior. Because if the thing don't come up, we're dead in three weeks. Right? What is this earth going to be like with no sun? We know in winter, when the sun goes south, we're freezing. Wait till there is no sun. There is no heat in our solar system, period. The sun's gone. We're going to freeze over big time real quick. So therefore, you better hope that sun comes up every morning at 530 because he is the hope of the world. He's the light of the world. Now, not only does the sun represent warmth and represents life and light so that you can actually see instead of rumbling around in the dark for the rest of your life, you know, you can actually see things you're doing. Now you can begin to see where this story is going to go. All the things which happened to Jesus is the war between light and darkness. And... A classic example of what I'm talking about uh, is there's a story in the Bible in the New Testament where Pontius Pilate brings out two prisoners in in uh, in, in Jerusalem. He brings out the he's the governor of Jerusalem. He's the governor of Judea, and he represents Rome, and he's the governor. And in the Bible it says that. Pontius Pilate brought out before the city, he called a meeting, and all the city was there, and he brought out two prisoners. He had, on the left-hand side, he had Barabbas. Barabbas was known to be a murderer, a liar, and a career criminal. Not Nothing of any redeemable value in this criminal. And on the right, he had Jesus, the light of the world. So here is a guy who's dedicated his life to the dark side. It was an evil criminal. While on the other uh, on the other side, you have the truth and the light. 
Jesus. And so the scripture says that Pontius Pilate said to the crowd in the city, according to the custom of your people, your your custom in Rome, uh, once a year I can release one prisoner to the city. I can let one prisoner go. That's our custom. So, today I will release one prisoner according to our custom. Which one do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? You tell me. It's your custom. You tell me who to release. And the Bible says, the Bible says with one voice, everyone with one voice said, give us Barabbas. Nobody in town wanted Jesus. Nobody. Give us Barabbas. That's a spiritual metaphor. That's an encoded message, which is saying, here's the, in the, here's the encoded message in that, is that when the government or powers, the authorities representing government or representing power, God, I don't care what you call, whatever the power is, and when the power of this world presents to the people, you have one of two choices. You have the criminal or you have the prince of light. You have the truth and the light or you have a criminal. Which one do you want? Everyone agreed they wanted Barabbas. We want the criminal. We don't want to hear the truth and the light. We're not interested in hearing truth and the light. Why? Because we are democracy. Democracy means we want somebody like us. We're all a bunch of alcoholics, rapists, lawbreakers, fanatics, goofballs, airheads, criminals, stupid, ill-informed, dimwits, self-centered, egotistical. So we love Barabbas. He's like us. We can deal with him. But Jesus represented the truth and the light we're not interested in no truth and light period give us barabbas not the truth and the light so as i've said to you before that is true i have learned that over 50 years of speaking to people around the world that the one thing that people generally speaking do not want because people will always support what they want they will not support what they don't want the one thing people will not support ever is the truth and the light. People, generally speaking, are not interested to look at the real truth. You don't want to look at your wife for who she really is. You don't want to look at your children who are on drugs because they are telling you this is what kind of a parent you were. Your kid's in prison. Your kid's on drugs. Your kid flipped a car and killed somebody. And it all goes back to you, what kind of a parent you were. So you don't want to hear the truth. You don't want to hear that the people in, in your company don't like you. You don't want to hear the truth about you. You want to hear that you want to hear what the prince of darkness. So go to the baseball game and the, and the football games and all your silly alcohol and your parties. And bring your beer and your, and your pretzels and because now everybody's like you. You know, we're a democracy. Everybody's like you. You, you're, you're, you're ignorant, ill-informed, unread, dim-witted, religious goofball, bigoted, racist. Well, so is everybody else. So you fit in just fine. Everybody loves you. Unless, of course, you were into the truth and the light. 
And in that case, nobody wants to hear you. They're not inviting you to any parties. They don't want to hear from anything about you. They don't want to hear those truth and the light. It's a symbolic story. The people always love lies. They are never going to accept the truth and the light. So with one voice, it says, the whole town said to Pontius Pilate, give us Barabbas. We know we can handle him. He's a criminal. Well, so are we. He's one of us. Jesus, he represents the truth and the light. We don't want to hear it. No, thank you. Why? It's because if you were sound asleep, and you were very tired, and you've been sound asleep, and someone slipped into your bedroom at, at 3 o'clock in the morning and flipped on a 600-watt bulb next to your bed, your immediate normal human reaction would be to jump quickly and hide your eyes. Why? Well, because it, first of all, scared the hell out of you. 600-watt bulb, boom, all of a sudden, it woke you up and scared you, but it also hurt your eyes, and you turn away from it and, uh, and, and cover your eyes because it hurt, hurts your eyes. That's a normal, natural reaction yep. when you're confronted with the truth and the light. So, therefore, anyone who is extremely bright, that's a word we use in relation to light, as someone really bright, intellectually, spiritually very bright, and they're trying to enlighten you, and you've been in the dark all your life. You don't know what's going on. You've never read nothing. You don't know nothing. You don't understand nothing. You've got nothing. And someone comes into your life who is intellectually or spiritually enlightened, and they're like a 600-watt bulb going off in your face. You've never heard any of this. So the first thing you do when you hear someone who's in the truth and the light, or giving you the truth and the light, you turn your head. And, got, and cover your eyes, because this guy's brilliant. And I've been in the dark all my life, and I don't understand what he's talking about. All I know is the bull, the BS I've been told all my life, and I got a religion, I love the Lord Jesus, and I drink a lot. And, hallelujah. Yeah, and hallelujah, and pass the, and pass the, the booze, and all that stuff. And now I find out that there is no Jesus, and the whole thing was a metaphor, and I'm a fool, and my government's gone, and uh, and uh, my government's gone, and all of that shit. And so once you understand all of that, it's, it just means you're a fool. You've been deceived. You're in the dark. It's the works of darkness, and you're in the dark, and you cannot deal with the light and the truth. So when Jesus says of himself, I am, it's, it's a metaphor, it's a symbolic story. Jesus said, I am the truth and the light. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. Obviously, if you want to actually communicate with the divine principle in heaven called God, I don't know if you're smart enough to do that or if you're brave enough to do that, but if you actually want to communicate with God, it would be better if you just stay in your little silly-ass religion. Because everybody loves you and you love everybody. Everybody feels good about it. Everything. Amen. But if you really want to contact the spirit in the universe, then don't even come to that great divine presence, the great spirit in the universe, with your silly-ass religion. Because if there is a God out there, obviously, if you understand how big the universe really is, and if there is a divine presence in the universe that has created all things in your mind, you're calling it God, 
Well, if there is a God, don't try and communicate with that God with your silly-ass religion, with your beer-drinking, silly-ass routine that you're dancing around the stage and singing hymns and falling all over yourself and blessing everybody with, with incense and spreading water in people and giving all that silly bullshit. And then, of course, you're making millions of dollars a year doing it. Don't think you're going to go to the divine presence in the universe that we call God with your silly-ass religion. It ain't going to fly. You're going to talk to God. You better go clean. Because if there is a God out there, and that God is in the position of power that you say he is, then your silly-ass routine ain't going to fly because he already knows what you are. So if you want to go to God, you better come back. You better go back and do some homework. If you want to talk to God, the best way you can do it in your silly-ass religion is just go to your church and you'll feel much better. Go to your church and talk to God and dance around the stage and sing hymns and light candles and do all that good stuff, and you feel great. But you're not even getting close to the divine one. So don't even try it. Because if you're going, if you're going to go actually in fact before the divine presence in the universe that men have called God, then you are not going to go there with your silly religion. Nobody goes to the Father unless he comes through me, the truth and the light. So you better look at yourself in the real light and see what the real truth is before you go talking to God. So nobody comes to God unless he goes through the truth and the light. So if you're going to go to God with your silly-ass religion, stay home. It ain't going to fly. You mean I can't murder someone and just say sorry? Yeah, you could. Sure, if you're in California, you can. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying you can't go to God with your silly religion. With your Jewish religion, you're not going to God. You have no idea. All God is is dog spelled backwards. Okay. That's why you have church dogma. So if you're going to go to God, you need to get all that religious stuff out of your head, all that silly church stuff out of your head, all of that man-made, silly-ass, money, corrupt, corporation, big-time money, dancing on the stage and wearing your, uh, wearing your religious clothes and lighting candles and singing hymns. All of that is to make you feel good in a church, which is nothing more than a social organization. If you want to talk to the divine presence in the universe that men have called God, yeah, you have, first of all, better take a couple of courses in astronomy and find out how big this universe really is. And find out how big the universe really is. And if there is somebody out there that's over this universe like God, then you've got to figure he's going to be a lot smarter than you. And he knows your bullshit from a long time ago. So don't go to God with your silly religion. Ain't going to fly. That's like you coming to me to, 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 to look for, a, I'm, I'm the government, you're coming to me for a job. And I'm so impressed you're coming to me. What are you kidding? I'm not impressed with you. Hell, I got your, I got your, I got your paperwork right here. You've been in jail three times. You've had six wives. You owe the government money. You've been convicted of four different felonies. And you coming to me for looking for a job? What's, what's wrong with you? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You think I'm stupid enough? I'm going to hire you. Same thing with you going to God. No, I'm going to go to God, and I want to talk to the Lord God, and I want to... Are you kidding? What the hell? With your background, are you going to go to God? Mm -hmm. First of all, you can't even read. 
Your silly ass religion is one of the silliest religions on the face of the earth, and you're going to go talk to God. Come on. So no man comes to the Father unless he comes through me, the truth and the light. Yeah. The God's Son, the light of the world. The sun represents light. And the darkness represents evil. That's why Jesus is the Prince of Peace, because it gets very peaceful when the sun comes out. Yeah, it could be a storm at night, electrical storm, but when the sun comes out, all of a sudden it starts, the sun dissipates the storm and it gets peaceful. So he's the Prince of Peace. And then we have the story in the Bible with Jesus in a boat on, on the, on the sea. And the scripture says in the New Testament story about Jesus, he's in a boat and it was not the Queen Mary, you know, not not 700 uh, uh, rooms with dining and elevators. No, it's just a little boat, fishing boat. And it says in the Bible that the, that a storm came up, and that these that the guys, the sailors in the boat, who were seasoned sailors, they've been through everything on this on this. But the storm was so bad, it says even the seasoned sailors were frightened that they they were going to die. That's how bad the storm was. It's a bad storm. Must be a bad one. Because yep. the guys who've been out there all their life, this time they're really scared. So that was really scared because it's a bad storm. And therefore, they said they had to go and wake Jesus up to tell him how bad the storm was. Logic alone would tell you there's a, this is a metaphor. It's a symbolic story. What are you talking about? A storm so bad. And we're not talking about on the Queen Mary. We're talking about a little fishing boat. And the damn storm is so bad that the sailors themselves think they're going to die. That's how bad the storm is. And Jesus is sleeping. He didn't know anything about it. Sound asleep. How the hell are you going to be sound asleep when a storm is so bad the sailors are going to, uh, committing suicide? That's so bad. And Jesus is sound asleep. He didn't know anything about it. They had to wake him up. Son of God. <laughs> and then it says, but when he woke up, and he rose, uh, he told the storm to quiet, and the storm quieted down. And they said, my goodness, God's son caused the earth, caused the storm to, to stop. Well, of course, if there's a horrible storm on the sea at night, and that's when the big storms happen is at night, because of the inversion of the heat and the, and the cold air at night, the, the air is rising from the heat of the day, and it hits the cold air, and that's when tornadoes and 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 and, uh, and hurricanes and terrible storms at sea. But when the sun comes out, the sun dissipates the 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 storm, warms the the atmosphere, and the storm subsides. So when God's sun, who is the light of the world, of course the sun is the light of the world. Our risen Savior. Of course it's your risen Savior. And when there's a horrible storm on the sea, yeah, well, when he rises, the, 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 the storm subsides, it calms down. So they say, oh my God, God's son was able to quiet the storm. Of course the sun quiets the storm on the sea. Talking astro astronomy, the sun heats up the, 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 the atmosphere, and the storm dies down. Makes sense. So there's about 40 to 50 different stories in the Bible I'm going to go through, but each one basically will tell you 
Jesus represents the sun, S-U-N, because English. People will tell me all the time because they, they hear this and they say, well, that, but that's using English. That's just in English it works, the S-U-N and S-O-N. That's a no, no, no. English is a German language. It's called Germanic language. Look it up in encyclopedia, English. English is referred to in the encyclopedia as Low German. It's a German language. It's a Germanic language, English, Low German. And therefore, in German, High German, that thing that comes up in the morning, you know, it brings light into the world? Sun. It's called the sun. But how is it spelled in German? S-O-N. In German, that thing that comes up every morning and brings light into the world is spelled S-O-N, sun. And therefore, we, in low English, changed it. And we say it's S-U-N. And therefore, your boy, who is your offspring, is your son. Why? Because he is the light of your life. Your, your whole life is in your son. And so when the people see your son, whatever anyone does to your son, they've done it to you. The idea is whatever you do to my son, you've done it to me. If you treat my son with respect and honor, then you have treated me with respect and honor. You mess with my son, you've messed with me. He's my son, and what you did to him, you did it to me. He can't pay you back, but I can. So that's why Jesus is referred to as God's son, the light of the world. So the idea is, and we can we can probably end it now with this last and final comment, uh, that Jesus represents the sun, the S-U-N, the light of the world our risen Savior. Of course, the sun is your risen Savior. If it doesn't rise in the morning, we're dead in about three weeks. Therefore, the sun represents, in the ancient prehistoric world, the sun represented the truth and the light. Because at nighttime, if you see someone doing something, you can't swear by it, because it was dark at night and you can't swear. But if it was in broad daylight, now you know the truth because you saw it in broad daylight. So therefore, the, the prince of darkness is evil. Put a D in front of the word evil, becomes devil, prince of darkness. While God's son is the light of the world, he is the truth and the light. All makes sense. Well, whoever did write the uh, Bible is quite clever. Very clever. The Ten Commandments. And if you're living by the Ten Commandments strictly. Well, it's very clever. You're, you're a good man. Yeah. But remember, in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment was, I am the Lord your God. Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. That's a whole subject right there in itself. That's a two-hour subject right there. Well, right there, I, I don't like it. Yeah, because because uh, because the Ten Commandments, first of all, there was two sets of the Ten Commandments. There was the first set of Ten Commandments, which Moses came down from the mountain Sinai and saw the, the Hebrew people, his people, dancing around the golden calf. Now, that's a whole subject. And he got so upset with the Hebrew people, the Bible says he threw down and broke the law. 
So that's what we get in our, in our terminology. Someone has broke the law. Why? Because that's what Moses did. He threw down the tablets of the law and they broke. So he broke the law. So he was the first lawbreaker. Then God gave him a second Ten Commandments, which were different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he had to go back up there and do it again. And God gave him a different Ten Commandments this time. I wonder what the first ones were. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> Very interesting. The first Ten Commandments, you will never know because the scripture says it, well, he broke the law. He threw down the Ten Commandments and broke them. And so the second Ten Commandments is in the Bible. That's the second set. <laughs> and I think it's interesting that the first uh, commandment is, Thou shalt, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have strange gods before me. It doesn't say, God was not saying to, to Moses, I am the only God in the whole universe. No. Read it, what it says. And this comes from a very high-ranking rabbi I talked to back in 1960, over 50 years ago. The rabbi sat for hours, and I used to sit and talk. And he was a very high-ranking rabbi in America. And I talked to him for 1960, and he said, "It's read it what it says. Don't read into it. Read it. It says the first commandment is, I am the Lord, your God. I'm not the only God. I'm the Lord, your God. And I will not have strange gods before me. He didn't say he was the only God in the whole universe. No, obviously, he's not the whole God of the whole universe. He said, I am the Lord, your God. Same to Israel, same to the Jews. I am your God. And so, therefore, we know and that I will not have strange gods before me, which is the same thing when you're getting married or you've got it, you're going steady with a girl. You say, I am your steady. I'm not the only guy in the world, no, but I'm the only one in your life. Let's get that straight. There's lots of other guys out there better than me, but I'm the one in your life. So I don't want to have any other guys, you know, coming Creep, around. Creeping around. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So let's just get it straight, who the boss is here. I'm not the only God, but I'm the only one in your life, period. So therefore, God's saying to the Israelites, I am the Lord your God, and I will not have strange gods before me. Now, you can mess around with the gods later on behind me, but they better not have any before me. So you can have a lot of men friends if you want, but when it comes to personal stuff, just me. I don't care if you have boyfriends at work and you have other people, all the guys you know. Yeah, but I am the Lord, your God, and I will not have any other strange gods before me. So therefore, we find out that the Hebrews, the Jewish people, were not monotheistic people. It's called monotheistic. We're told that the Jews were the first monotheistic people, which is ludicrous on the face of it. The Hebrews and the Jewish people were not monotheistic. They were never monotheistic, and they're not monotheistic today. Period. They're not monotheistic. They are heno. The word is H-E-N-O. Go look it up in a dictionary. H-E-N-O. Henotheistic. Theistic means of God. Mono means one. So we're told that the Hebrews were the worshipers of one God. They were monotheistic. No, they weren't. They were henotheistic. 
Rabbi, the rabbi told me many years ago, the Hebrews were never a monotheistic. They're not monotheistic today, and they ain't never going to be monotheistic. Ain't never been monotheistic. Mono means a worship of gun God. Well, there God said, I am the Lord your God. And I will not allow any other gods before me. He didn't say there was no other gods. Just don't have any other gods in front of me. I'm the first one. So you can have all the other men in your life that you work with and you, you know, you, you, you friends with. That's fine. As long as you remember, there's only one guy in your life. You talking to him. All right. So I am the Lord, your God, and you, and I shall not have strange gods before me. So don't bring any gods in this house before me. So therefore, he didn't say there were no other gods. No, I'm just, there is no other gods for you. You made a contract with me. So therefore, you understand that the, the Hebrew people were henotheistic, not mono. Theistic. They were not the worshipers of one God. So, to explain this, let's say that there were 16 different gods, and all 16 were equal. And you were asked to pick one. Pick one, one of those gods to, you'll be his follower and he'll be your God. And you make a deal with him. Or a covenant, or a contract, or a covenant, like an Ark of the Covenant. as a contract. So therefore, you pick that one God that you like in the blue suit. That's the one you pick. That's the one. Okay. So now he is the Lord, your God. Right. Okay. But there's 15 others. So what about the other 15? Well, your God says to you, I am the Lord, your God. But I will not have these other gods before me. I mean, I don't care if they're here, but not in your life. So pick one. Yeah. So Pick pick one one and go with it. Pick one and go with it. Better make the right choice first time out. Well, that's that's the part. You know, it's not your fault if you make the wrong choice. Well, no. Some I mean, people it's just only have you. one choice. Look at that's why I've always said knowledge is power. That's why the American people don't have any power to do anything. They have no knowledge. That's why religious people have no no prerogatives in their life at all. They don't have any choice to say anything. Why? Because you don't know nothing. Knowledge is power. Without knowledge, you have no power. So, therefore, Christians are praying to God continually every day, and the more they pray to protect their homeland, to protect their lives, to protect their family, uh, the more they pray to protect the church, whatever you're praying for, whatever it is the Christians are praying for, it ain't working. Because by their fruits, you shall know them. What is the fruitage of the Christians, all millions of them, or one billion of them, all over the earth, praying to God? What is the fruitage of Christianity praying to God? Well, what is the fruitage of the Jews praying to their God that they pick? Well, I don't know. What is the fruitage of the Islamic people praying to their God? What is the fruitage? Want an answer? What would you say? The fruitage of all three of the people of the book, all the gods that they're worshiping and praying to. Am I being graded on this? Uh, no, I'm going to let you go let you slide. Ignorance. Yeah, ignorance. So I, I passed. And war, violence, drugs, gang wars, drive-by shootings, alcohol, drug wars, Bedellin cartels, international conflicts, rape, plunder. Pornography, the whole world is falling apart with corruption, evil, murder, violence, 
women and children being raped and murdered, young young kids, you know, teenagers killing 30 and 40 people at a time. Hey, they were born and raised in a country with Christians and Jews. There's your there's the, there is a classic example. By their fruits you shall know them. What is the fruitage of America if it isn't drive bike shootings, alcoholism, drug addiction, murder, violence, war, pornography, Bugs Bunny, Big Top Pee Wee, Hulkamania, uh, you know, war fighting, cage fighting, martial arts, war, jets, flipping cars drugs, the whole entire civilization and the Western world, what is the fruitage of your God? Are we being judged as a civilization? Oh, I hope not. Because if there is a divine presence in the universe that we call God, if there is, um, you're not going to be able to fool that one with your BS. I mean, you can fool other people. You can fool some of the people some of the time, and you can fool all the people some of the time, but you can't fool God ever, period. That stands to reason. Yeah. So therefore, you can think about yourself as being holy and righteous and a wonderful America, America, land of the free and home of the brave, and how wonderful and holy you are, and how wonderful our country is. You're not wonderful. You're not wonderful at all. Your homeland is filled with hypocrisy, uh, corruption, violence. Your government as a communist, Nazi, fascist, dictatorship. Your banks are corrupt. Your educational, uh, educational institutions are corrupt. Your military is corrupt. Your money is worthless. Your children are criminals. The entire civilization and the Western civilization is crumbling and falling apart like the Roman Empire. Why? Because you're worshiping the wrong God. What you're doing is you're worshiping the God of your forefathers who they didn't know any more about than you do. So you don't understand what you're doing. You're worshiping a God that you do not know. And that's why by their fruits you shall know them. What is the fruitage of Christianity and Judaism if it isn't Middle Eastern war, white slavery, pornography, drug addiction, wars, murder, gang wars, motorcycle gangs? That is the fruitage of Judaism and Christianity. It's on the streets of America. It's on the streets of the big cities of the world. That's the fruitage. So don't tell me about how holy and righteous you are. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me, the truth and the light. Astrotheology is, of course, the basis for most religions that have ever existed on the earth, especially for Western religions today. Judaism and Christianity, for sure, are based almost solely on astrotheology. So, in order to understand this subject, which is the basis for world religions today, and especially Judaism and Christianity, the subject is called astrotheology. Theology is the study of, ology is the study of, and the, T-H-E, is God in Greek. So, in Greek, the word God is the, T-H-E, or theo, study of, as I said, is ology. So you put the two together, the study of God, 
is theology. And so what I'm saying is that our concepts of God are actually based on the heavens. The whole entire story of Judaism and Christianity, is, there's a story of the constellations of the zodiac, the heavenly movements of the planets. That's the basis for Christianity and Judaism. So it's a, it's a hell of a story when you begin to break down what these words mean and where the ideas have come from. Uh, so I wrote an article many years ago called Astrotheology. Actually, the name of the article was called The Greatest Story Ever Told, because this is the greatest story ever told. Uh, the Bible has been referred to as the greatest story ever told, and the reason why is because it is, in fact, the greatest story that's ever been told, because it's the oldest story. It's the most ancient story that's ever been told by any civilization. And it's been redone, repackaged, and given to our modern-day world in what we call the Bible, Old and New Testament. Uh, so, in this article that I wrote, The Greatest Story Ever Told, The Basis for All World Religions, or especially Western religion, uh, I'm going to read from the uh, the intro before I get into the subject, because I think the intro says it very well to explain where we're going to start with this. Again, uh, I'm again. I want to say that the study of God is theology, the T H E, which gives us our word theater. We get the word theater from the God show, because in ancient Greek. Uh, the Greeks had a open-air theater, an amphitheater, <clears throat> and every so often all the Greeks in, in the town would get together in this big open-air theater, and they would have uh, uh, plays and skits put on that would teach the people certain morals and ethical principles, etc. And so from that idea about how God operates in human life, uh, we get the word theology and theater, so that today a church is nothing more than a theater. It's a, it's a, it's the God show. You go in, you pay money, and you get a, you know, and you, and you get the, a show, and when it's all over, you feel very good about yourself, and you feel very good about everything. Everything's right, and everything's holy. Never realizing it's just a show. It's just, uh, it's just entertainment. It's the God show. Theater. I want to get past the, the God show and get down to the actual facts of how our world religions came about. So let me start by reading the uh, intro to my book that I wrote many years ago. The Judaic Christian Bible tells a wonderful story. It is, in fact, often referred to as the greatest story ever told. And so it is, and you're now about to find out why. In the New Testament, of the Christian Bible, a provocative and most serious challenge is laid on the whole of Christianity. Since it bears directly on our subject, we will quote it. This is taken from 1 Corinthians 15:14 through 17 in the New Testament. It says, If Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Christians. And he says, If, if Christ be not risen then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Yea, we are found as false witnesses of God. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you're yet in your sins. 
So, let's closely examine the original and conceptual foundations of the faith and then decide. But in order to do that, we must go back not 2,000 years to the birth of Jesus, but 10 to 15,000 years to the birth of modern man. For when one seeks to establish foundations, one must begin at the beginning. Many thousands of years ago, and what we refer to as the primordial world of the ancients, human life was a far different experience than what we enjoy today. While it is true that we have less documentation on that prehistoric world than we have on our own age, ample enough is known from the ancient writings to paint a rather clear picture of what our primitive ancestry was like. If we have learned anything at all, it is this, that the more we change, the more we stay the same. And nowhere is this more clearly demonstrated than in the history of man's quest for God and the ancient religions that we still keep holy today. According to the best understanding we have gleaned from the available records, life for our ancient forefathers was a mixture of wonder and fear, each day just finding food for one's family without becoming a meal yourself by the roaming predator animals, was a life-and-death struggle. But if you have ever found yourself on a dark, cold night with insufficient clothing and without a friend or family near, you could quickly see how fearful the darkness, cold, primordial nights could be. And then came winter. Now you've really got problems. (laughs) It was from these meager and distressful conditions of the human race that our long history for the search for God and meaning has come. Any evolution at its most accelerated rate is always agonizingly slow. But from the beginning, man's profound questions demanded answers. When no clear answers were forthcoming from the universe, man turned inward and developed his own answers. The study of this subject is properly called astrotheology, or the worship of the heavens. This is the first, the original, and the only, therefore the oldest and most respected story on earth. It did not take man very long to decide that in this world the single greatest enemy to be feared was the darkness of night and all the unknown dangers that came with it. Simply stated, man's first enemy was darkness. So once you begin to see how the ancient and prehistoric world viewed their life on the earth, we can understand how darkness was a fearful thing to primordial and ancient man. And that the coming of the sun or the rising of the orb of day would, of course, be a a great relief from the cold, fearful, frightening darkness of night, especially because of all the predator animals would go back into their caves and go back into their holes and leave the humans alone while the sun was out. And so the sun always represented uh, protection, warmth, Life, because they realize, the ancient people realize, the sun creates uh, energy, 
which gives us energy to live. It also feeds the energy to plants so we can have food to eat. So the sun, it was, uh, to go on with what I wrote, understanding this one fact alone, one can readily see why the greatest and most trustworthy friend the human race could ever have was by far heaven's greatest gift to the world, the glorious rising orb of day, our sun. This is why today Jesus is referred to as God's son, the light of the world. Of course, the sun is the light of the world. So with this simple truth understood that the sun is our risen savior, and of course the sun is your risen savior because it rises every morning to save you. Because if it doesn't rise, we're dead in about three weeks. So it is your risen savior and he is the light of the world. So with this simple truth understood, we can now begin to unravel the ancient and wonderful story today As in all of mankind's history, it has once again been told anew. The story is the story of Christianity, the greatest story ever told. Now, I'm going to outline just bits and pieces of how this story developed. Because modern-day Christianity says that the ancient peoples of the world were, were primitive that believed in all kinds of uh, mythologies and dreamt of all kinds of silly stories of mythology, and that they were sun worshippers. Well, in point of fact, that is not true. And the people, those ancient people, are not here today to defend themselves. So the actual fact of the matter is the sun was never perceived by any ancient civilization to be a god. The Native Americans will tell you that today, that they have a veneration of the sun, but they don't perceive the sun to be a god. They say, the ancient people said, that the sun represented the great qualities that could be attributed to God, to our creator. The qualities that the sun brings to the world is the qualities that we would imagine comes from God. And so, um, first of all, darkness was the great enemy of the human family, and that every uh, so often the sun would rise, our risen Savior would come back and chase away the darkness. And so the Bible talks about how the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Well, the glory is a word for the sunburst. This is why uh, when kings and queens are crowned, in Europe, the, the uh, event is called the coronation of the king or queen. Coronation comes from the word corona, which is the sunburst. When a child draws a sun coming up in the morning, you'll see the sun, and then you'll see little spokes, which represent the uh, sun rays. Well, the spokes are what was referred to as the corona, or the glory of God, the sun. Uh, This is why Jesus is said to have died with a crown of thorns. The crown of thorns are the sun rays that you will see on the Statue of Liberty. She wears a crown of thorns. So the sun rays are the crown of thorns that Jesus died with because he was God's son, S-U-N. And he dies every night, every evening he dies and leaves the whole world in the hands of the prince of darkness, which was uh, the devil. 
So when you talk about God and the devil, you need to understand that you take an O out of the word good and becomes God. God is good. And you take a, the letter D and put it in front of the word evil, and it becomes devil. Devil is simply a D in front of the word evil. So <clears throat> the scripture says in the Old Testament that uh, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. That's from Matthew 4 and 2. And then in uh, Matthew 4, 16, in the New Testament, says God's son, he is risen. And so in the Old Testament, it says the Son, S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness will arise. Well, in the New Testament, it says God's Son, Jesus, is risen. So the Bible is equating Jesus with the Son. He is the light of the world. So it becomes uh, obvious that the Son is an appropriate symbol to represent God and that it gives the world light, it gives wisdom, knowledge, um, if you can't learn anything in the, at 12 noon, then you're, then you're really in the dark. So it gives light to the world. It gives uh, energy so that you may live, animals may live. So Jesus, as I said, becomes known as God's Son, S-U-N, not S-O-N. Now, the second point is that, uh, as we talked about, the rising of the sun, and it's appropriate to say that the S-U-N does rise in the morning, so it is your risen Savior. And so uh, the Scripture says in the Bible, in both Deuteronomy and the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, that God is a consuming fire in heaven. That's interesting. In the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Hebrews in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, uh, it says that God is a consuming fire in heaven. Well, if that isn't the sun, what else is? So, it was accepted that all men were bound to life on the earth, but the sky was the abode of God's Son. He resided up there in heaven. So when you hear Christians today talking about God's Son who is in heaven, well, obviously the sun is in heaven. Where else would it be if it wasn't up in the heavens? Ask a child to go out at night and point up into the sky, what are you looking at? You're not only looking at the sky, but you're looking into heaven. And so at 12 noon, you can look up above your head, and you will see God's Son. He is in heaven. And uh, But the idea that when you die, you're going to go to heaven with God's Son, uh, no, the Son is in heaven, not you. And so it's just symbolic terms that we use. So I'm going to go through these points one by one. We'll start with this point where it says, It was accepted by all men that life on earth was for man, but the sky was the abode of God's Son. He resides up there in heaven, as we said. The next says that ancient man saw in his male offspring his own image and likeness, and his own existence as a father was proved by the person of his son. It was assumed that God's Son was but a visible representative of the unseen Creator in heaven. So it is said in the Scriptures that when you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father. Or said another way in the Bible, in the New Testament, the Father is glorified in His Son. The idea being is that when you have a male offspring, you call him your son. 
and he reflects to the world, you, you are the father of the son. And so when they see your son, when, when anyone, whatever happens to your son, anyone talks to him, harms him, does anything to, to him, good or bad, whatever they do to your son, they have done to you because he represents you. Therefore, you're the father and he's the son. So the idea being is that the son, the S-U-N, represents the great creator in the heavens that you cannot see. But uh, but you can see his qualities, God's qualities in his son. As I said, because the son gives life. I mean, there would be no life on the earth if it wasn't for God's son. And there would be nothing to eat and there would be nothing to grow. So it would be horrible on this earth if we didn't have the sun. So, um, ancient man had no problem understanding that all life on the earth depended directly on the life-giving energy from the sun. Consequently, all life was lost without God's sun, S-U-N. It followed that God's sun was nothing less than our very Savior. And, of course, as I said, the Son is your Savior. If you don't think so, wait till it don't come up. So the next point is that since energy from the Son gave life and we sustain our very existence by taking energy from our food, which comes from the Son, the Son must give up its life supporting energy so that we might continue to live. It is said that God's Son must give his life for you to live. Well, if you think about energy is life. I mean, if you got a battery and it has a lot of energy, it's, it's a live battery. But when you drained all the uh, the energy out of the battery, we say the battery's dead. Well, you are a biological battery. You're a biological electrical unit. Your body is. So when you have used up all your energy, we say things like, I'm just dead. I'm dead, tired, I'm dead. But no, it means that your the energy in your body is is gone, so you're tired, you need to go to sleep because you are just dead, meaning that the the energy in you is gone. So the sun gives up its energy, and so the ancient people said that the energy coming from the sun uh, keeps us alive, obviously. But if the sun were to keep its energy to itself and not give it to everybody else, not give it to the solar system, but it was to keep that energy in itself, then it would last forever because it is the symbol, it is the source of all energy for us in our solar system. So if he kept it to himself, he would have plenty of energy and could last forever. But as long as he's giving the energy out freely to all of us on the earth, and to our solar system, there's going to come a day, the ancient people said, there will come a day when this sun is going to die because it cannot forever keep giving out uh, its, its, its energy. Somewhere, someday, it will have to die because it's giving all of its energy up. So that's why we say in Christianity that God's son, Jesus, died and gave his life so that we might live. That's right. The Son is giving up his life, his energy, so that we on earth might live. Because if it kept the energy, we'd be in the dark and we would be dead. 
So God's Son, S-U-N, is giving His energy, His life, so that we might live. Now, while it is plainly true that our life came from and was sustained each day by our Savior, God's Son, it was and would be true only as long as the Son would return each morning. Our hope of salvation would be secure only in a risen Savior. It was from this that we understand that if he did not rise from the grave of darkness, all would be lost. The whole world would be waiting for his imminent return each morning. So the Father would never leave us at the mercy of the world of darkness. And that's why when it got dark, the ancient Egyptians called the prince of darkness, the evil one in the ancient religions of Egypt, was called Set, S-E-T. Set was the god of darkness, the evil one. And so when God's son, Jesus, dies, each evening when he dies, he leaves the earth in the uh, in the uh, arms of the prince of darkness. Well, of course. And the prince of darkness was called Set. So today, when the sun dies, it's gone. It leaves the whole world, our world, in the arms of the prince of darkness at sunset. <laughs> so, very simple. All of this is very easy to understand once you realize that the entire story of Judaism and Christianity is based on sun worship, on the moon, on the stars. So let's go on. He would he would come again, and he promised he would return. Well, he does every morning about 5.30. Logically, even if man himself died, as long as the sun came up each morning, life on the earth would continue forever. Therefore, it is said in the ancient text that everlasting life was the gift that God gives to the world through his Son. The scripture actually says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that we may have everlasting life. That's true. God, the divine presence in the universe, has given his only begotten Son and our solar system is the only one. So it's God's only begotten Son, and he has given God's Son to us that we may have everlasting life on earth. Not you personally. You won't have everlasting life. But on the earth, as long as the sun comes up, there's going to be life on the earth. So that's why the Scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that we may have life forever everlasting life on the earth. Not you having everlasting life, but the earth will have it. So the next point is, since evil and harm lurk at every turn in the fearful darkness of night, all evil and harmful deeds were naturally referred to as the works of darkness. So that's why all evil things happen in darkness. That's why you robbers are not going to do it in the daytime. They're going to rob at night. So the evil things that happen, we call them works of darkness, because they usually happen at night. With the return of the sun each morning, man felt more secure in his world and therefore was at peace. Therefore God's sun, S-U-N, was with his rays of hope referred to as the Prince of Peace, because the sun, when it rose in the morning, brought light into the world, 
And now all the fearful things of night have fled away, and now we can see everything clearly. So he was referred to as the great Prince of Peace, God's Son. And, of course, the reverse was equally true. The evil of night was ruled over by none other than the Prince of Darkness. The evil is dark. And so darkness is evil, so you put a D, the letter D, in front of the word evil, it becomes devil. The next point is that it was only a short step to see that the light of God's Son equated with righteousness and truth. We do that today. Anytime we're talking about truth and light, we're talking about equating righteousness and truth with light. And therefore, the evil was equated with darkness. So from then on, it was very simple to understand. The light was good and the dark was evil, which also happens to give us, give us the basis for our racism. The light-colored people are good, the, the dark-colored people are bad, because light in the daytime is good and darkness at night is bad. So going on, the next point is that that being true, that light is good and darkness is evil, then the great orb of day, God's sun, could rightly say of itself, the sun could say of itself, I am the light and the truth. And no man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. Well, of course, the sun could say, I am the light of the world and I am the truth. Because obviously, Anything in the dark, you can't tell if it's true. But when it's in broad daylight, you can you can prove something to be right or wrong. So that's why Jesus has said, I am the light of the world. I am the light and the truth. And no man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. What that is saying is very simple, symbolically, that if you're going to, if you're going to present yourself before God, you need to do it in the spirit of light and truth, not with your religion. Your religion doesn't buy you anything. But uh, if you're going to talk to God, then you better go with intellectual, spiritual enlightenment and the truth. Because uh, anything less than truth and, and light is not going to play well with the universe. So if you, you know, if, if you got a religion, just forget your religion. If you're going to talk to God, you better you better do it with the light and truth. And so then we say, well, we should all give thanks to our Father for sending his Son for peace and tranquility. He brings to our life is what we call solace, S-O-L-A-C-E. Solace is from the word sola, for the Son. So God's Son, Jesus, gives solace to our life. It makes us feel better about everything because we know God's Son, Jesus, and so the, all, the idea that we're making, that Jesus makes us feel better about everything, we call that solace, S-O-L-A-C-E. Look it up in the dictionary. Coming from the word sola. So we now have before us two cosmic brothers, the Prince of Darkness and the Light of the World. The one very good and the one very bad. One brings the truth to light with the light of truth. And the other is the opposite, or the opposition to light, the opposer, the prince of the world of darkness. So the bottom line on Christianity is that God's Son is the light of the world, and his great enemy is the prince of darkness. 
the devil, D in front of the word evil. And it is at this point that we come to Egypt, more than 3,000 years before Christianity began. The early morning sun, which was the Savior, was was pictured in Egypt as a newborn baby. And the infant Savior's name was Horus. So we've seen that in Egyptian uh, books and on religion of the ancient Egyptians, that the newborn sun, when it first breaks on the horizon in the east in the, new, in the early morning, uh, that sun was called the newborn savior. He is just now coming to life for the earth. And so he's the newborn. And his name was Horus, H-O-R-U-S, Horus. And so we find that um, the early morning, the new early morning sun, or the newborn baby, was pictured in two ways. Horus was either the dove, he was pictured as a dove, as a bringer of peace, or sometimes he was pictured as a hawk, the god of war, who punishes the enemies of God. So today, in government, especially in America, we still have these terms, the hawks and the doves. The hawks was uh, was Horus, and the doves uh, was uh, the god of war. So the sun was called Horus when he awoke in the morning. Now at daybreak, this wonderful newborn child, the sun, is of course born again. So we say hallelujah, which means praise to Yahweh and praise to that God his son is born again. And that Horus, H-O-R-U-S, is risen. Even today, when the sun comes up, as we see it, we call it the sun in the morning, we say Horus is risen. So we have a word uh, called horizon. Horizon is Horus risen. So even today, the sun comes up on the horizon. So his life was also divided. We find out that the son's life was divided into 12 parts or 12 Horuses. In the ancient Egyptian religion, they said that Horus had 12 uh, lives and he had 12 steps. And he walked across step, he walked across heaven in 12 steps or 12 Horuses. So in the morning when it came up, it was Horus of the first step. A little bit later, it was Horus of the second step, and then Horus of the third step, and so he walked across the sky in 12 steps, which gives us our 12-step programs today. You start in the first grade, and you go to the 12th grade. Alcoholics have a 12-step program. So, and, and when you walk into a courtroom, they'll always have 12 jurors. It's a 12-step program. So the 12 steps are the 12 hours of day that the sun, God's son, his name is Horus, walks across the sky in 12 steps, 12 Horuses. So we today take the word H-O-R-U-S, Horus, and interchange the R and the U to U and R. Therefore, H-O-R-U-S becomes H-O-U-R-S, 12 hours. So the 12 Horuses that walk across the sky in 12 steps are the 12 hours, not Horus. But then, what about the evil brother of God's son, the old prince of darkness himself? Well, in the ancient Egyptian belief system, as I said, he was called, the devil was called Set. 
And we're told in the Bible that when God's son dies, the world is left in the hands of the prince of darkness. Sun set. So, if you're understanding what I'm saying is that the entire story in the New Testament and in the Old, but especially the New Testament, is nothing more than astrotheology or the telling of the oldest story in the world, the war between the sun and of day, the risen Savior, and the prince of darkness at night. So let's go on with this article. It was generally observed that God's Son could be depended upon to return in the same manner that he left, namely on a cloud. And so in the scriptures it says that every eye will see him, unless, of course, you're blind or dead. And so the Bible says that every eye will see God's Son when he comes back. Well, of course every eye sees the Son when he comes back. And it is said that uh, God's Son, the, the Scripture says that God's Son, when he left the world, he left on a cloud. And he gave a prophecy that he, he said, just as I am leaving on a cloud, I will come back on a cloud. That's in the Bible in the New Testament. Uh that Jesus said he would come back in a cloud because he left in a cloud. Well, that's the way the sun works, if you'll ever notice. At nighttime, when the sun's going down, there's clouds out there. So the sun leaves the world on a cloud. And in the morning, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if there are clouds and the sun comes up on a cloud. So Jesus is actually God's son, S-U-N, not S-O-N. So keeping in mind that God's Son, as U.N., was not only represented as the light of truth, but was put to death by his enemies who could not endure the light of truth in their life. It was taught by the ancient peoples that it, the very act of opposing or denying the light of truth is to, point, is to the point of killing it. It happens in one's own mind. So when we're confronted with harsh realities of life, the light of the truth, which we do not wish to face, and which runs counter to our religious views, such truth is put to death in your mind, in your head. Therefore, it is said that God's Son, who called himself the truth and the light, and of course the Son is the truth and the light, is put to death in the scriptures, it says that he was put to death in the place of the skull, or skull place, Golgotha. Well, of course, that's where you put to death. The truth and the light is in your head. So it's located somewhere between your ears. This is putting the death, the putting to death the light of hope in your mind is always accompanied by two thieves. So we say that there were two thieves that were raised by, uh, uh, that were on the cross next to Jesus. On one side was regret for the past, and then the other side was fear of the future. And so the scripture says that Jesus, God's son, died on a place called Golgotha. Uh, Golgotha it simply means place of the skull. Well, as I said, that's where you put to death the light of truth is in your head, your skull. God's son dies at Golgotha's skull place. And, of course, God's son goes to his death wearing a corona. We talked about that before, the corona, which is a Latin word for crown of thorns. Remember the Statue of Liberty? 
And to this day, kings still wear round crowns of thorns, like in Hawaii. All kings wear crowns of thorns because it's a coronation, corona. Going on with this uh, this idea of the Son being Jesus, S-U-N. God's S-U-N, God's Son, brought his wonderful light to the world, equally distributed over 12 months. So it is said that God's Son had 12 companions or helpers that assisted in his life-saving work. And so it was God's Son had 12 apostles or 12 months of the year, who followed him religiously through his life. Incidentally, now that you know why the American jury system has 12 jurors who help bring the truth to light before the great judge. So the 12 apostles are the 12 months of the year, or the 12 signs of the zodiac. And incidentally, that's why if you have the 12 signs of the zodiac or the 12 months of the year, which are the 12 followers of God's Son, so you take the 12 plus the master as the son, that makes it 13. That's what 13 is an unlucky number. The Jesus and, the, and his chosen 12. Now, as far as we can go back into ancient world, we find that all known cultures have a three and one triune God. This is very interesting because most people don't know that, that almost all the ancient cultures of the world pictured their God as a three-and-one God, a triune God. Uh, the very first trinity was simply the three stages of life of the sun. Newborn in the morning, that's, that's the newborn babe. Then full-grown at 12 noon, the mature God is at 12 noon. He was referred to as the Most High. Well, of course, they don't get any higher than noon. We call it high noon because the sun is as high as it's going to get at noon. So he's newborn in the morning. He's the baby. And then he's mature at 12 noon. And then, of course, he's old and dying at the end of day. He's going back to the Father. So all three of the concept of the triune God was actually one divinity. Therefore, if you understand what I'm saying, the Trinity is said to be a great mystery. No, the Trinity is not a mystery. It's the Son in the three stages, the early morning, the child, Horus the younger, and then at full noon at 12, and then the dying God at, at night. So it's the three, it's the three gods in one. It's the same Son God, so it's only one God, but three divine persons. Baby, full grown, and old man dying at night. And therefore, Horus the Elder was referred to in ancient Egyptians as the Amun or Amun Re, the king of the gods, the triune god of Thebes. Uh, the god uh, of the sun was called Amun, A M E N hyphen R A, Amun Re or Amun Ra. And so today, uh, when Christians are praying to God, even the scripture says no man can see God, but you can see his son. And so the son was called in the ancient Egyptian Amun, A-M-E-N hyphen R-A, Amun Ra. And so today Christians say that they go to church and they will pray to God's son, the light of the world, and at the end of their prayer they say amen. 
And then you ask them, why are you praying to Jesus? They said, well, because Christians will tell you, well, we can't talk to God directly. You can only talk to his son, and he will deliver the, the, the prayer to the Father. So that's exactly right. It's the, uh, it's the whole idea of Amun Ray. The ray it comes from our word for sun ray, for the sun. So when you've seen the sun, you've seen the Father. So this is why Christians at the end of their prayer say amen, because they're sending their prayer to God through God's Son, the light of the world. What am I saying here? Basically what I'm saying is that Christianity is nothing more than the telling of an old ancient story. It's called the greatest story ever told. The greatest story ever told is called astrotheology or the worship of the heavens. The worship of God's Son. And of course it is God's Son. It doesn't belong to the Chinese. It doesn't belong to Africa or to America or to anybody, anybody else on the earth. Well, who does the Son belong to? Well, it belongs to God. So it's God's Son. And He's the three divine persons in one. Yeah, the, the child in the morning, the full grown at noon, and the, and the old man at night. Three divine persons in one God. There is no mystery to the uh, Trinity. It's very simple. Now, we'll go on with this. The ancient Egyptians knew that the sun was at its highest point in the sky at high noon, when no shadow was cast on the pyramid. And so at that point, all Egyptians offered prayers to the Most High God. As stated before, to the ancients, the sky was the abode or the heavenly temple of the Most High. Therefore, God's Son was doing his heavenly Father's work in the temple at 12. So we've got all these ideas and pictures in the Bible and the New Testament that Jesus, at 12 years old, was in the temple teaching the wise men. No, not 12 years old. The Son was in the heavens. The temple of, of God is in the heavens, and so the sky is the abode of God, and God's heavenly temple is in the heaven, and therefore God's Son, the light of the world, is in the heavens teaching the universe, teaching everyone the truth at 12 noon. That's why it's called high noon, because he is the most high God. So that story about Jesus being 12 years old in the temple is a misunderstanding. No, it's the sun at 12 noon. And Jesus was teaching in God's uh, heavenly temple. Well, the heavenly temple is the sky. And so um, that's a misunderstanding that Jesus was teaching anyone at 12 years old. Now, the next point is that the world of ancient man kept track of these times and seasons by the movement of the sun, daily, monthly, and yearly movements of the sun. For this, the sundial was devised. Not only the daily movement of the sun was tracked on a round round sundial, but the whole year was chartered on a round calendar dial. Examples are the ancient Mexican, Mayans, and Incas, Aztecs, Sumerians, Babylonians, Assyrians, Egyptians, Celtic, Celtic, etc., all had the same idea and the concept of a round solar disk as a disk for the sun, to keep track of the sun, so that the whole year was on a round sun dial. 
So it's the earth experienced four different seasons, all at the same and equal time in the year. The round sun calendar was divided into four equal parts. Spring, summer, autumn, winter. Four equal parts of the year. This represented the complete story of the life of God's Son. Of course, the four seasons of the year tell you the whole story of the life of God's Son. This was also why we have, in the Bible, the four Gospels. On this point, there can be no doubt. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, and many of the early church fathers after him, stated this themselves, that the uh, four Gospels were based on the four seasons of the year, since Jesus is God's Son, and he has 12 apostles, or the 12 followers of God's Son, or the 12 months of the year, then the four Gospels are the four seasons in which the story of God's Son and his 12 helpers is given to us. So that's where the four Gospels come from. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, spring, summer, autumn, winter. This is why the famous painting of the Last Supper pictures 12 followers of the Son in groups of four. So if you ever get a chance to go back and see that beautiful painting of the what is called the Last Supper, you will see that there are 12 apostles with Jesus in the middle. The Son is in the middle of the 12. And each one of the, uh, and each three of uh, the apostles are gathered in four different groups of three. That's right. Spring, summer, autumn, winter. What do you think, guys? I think it's a good idea to stop here because there's so much more I want to talk about. Two cannibals eating a clown once says, does this taste funny to you? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Anyway, uh, nothing, good, nothing better than a good joke. Yeah, I know. That's it.